Welcome to another exciting episode of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, and we're pretty late tonight. We are pretty damn late tonight. 7.08 as I get started here on the content of our show. And we have a free roll scheduled for 7.10 tonight. Uh, but I don't know of any... Let me see if we got any money for the free roll. I think we might be broke this week. I think we might actually be broke. For the first time in a long time, I don't think we have money for the free roll. Let me see. Oh, well, we have a little bit of money. Not much, though. So, you know what? Um, unless some money comes in here, this is just going to be for, for fun. Uh, we have someone who donated their winnings from last week, but last week we didn't have that much money in the free roll either. So I don't want to have a free roll for like 16 bucks. So uh, this week I think we'll take a break from the free roll. And uh, if you want to play, go ahead, but there's no prizes. And uh, we'll return next week unless I get some kind of uh, offer to donate like in the next few minutes, then I'll establish some prizes. Uh, this is my fault. I didn't post the thread Oh, never mind. I just got a, a text here. So we do have a free roll. See, uh, Money said, I will fire 50 on the free roll. I don't want it to be broke this week. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess by uh, coming on here and pleading poverty, uh, we got some money. So uh, actually, now we have uh, $66 for the free roll because we had uh, 15 from the first place finish last week from Short Bus Poker. Jeez, why do people call me when I'm on the show? So, $66, it went from 0 to 66 very quickly, and I appreciate that. So it'll be, uh, first place will be $30, second place will be $20, third place will be $10, and fourth place, 6 30 20 10 and 6 Thank you to C-Money and Short Bus Poker for... Uh, Firing money into this at the last minute. Now, it's too late to get in there if you're not in there yet. So, probably will be an easy one to win this time. I got a very late start on this one. Some things came up at the last minute, and I started even later than usual. But I hope you can forgive me here. You know, I try to do this show every week. Don't get paid for it. And uh, sometimes other things come up. But we are going. And this will be a normal show tonight, other than the free roll being uh, very late to announce. Uh, if you already are in the free roll, you need to have had a an account here on Poker Fraud Alert registered on the forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you do not have an account on the free roll dated June 1st, 2013 or before, someone really wants to reach me, then you will not qualify. And you can't even email me this week. Because the free roll has already started. But if you want to qualify for next week, you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening for three weeks or more by telling me things you've heard on the show that are not listed in the show description. That's dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. And just in case you're wondering, the free roll is in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, totally free, doesn't even cost you any play chips. If you listen to the show, you know the drill. I won't bother to go into... Further details since it already started at 7.10 Pacific Time. I should set this later just in case I start really late. 
so this doesn't happen. I think I'll do that for next week. Anyway, speaking of next week, starting in three days, I'll be back at the World Series. We're up to, like, event number 38 in the World Series, and I've played a whopping three events, and two if you count event number eight only once, because I entered event number eight twice, and then I entered one other event. Didn't cash any of those three times, then I took a break. Long break, and the break's almost over. I will return, hopefully, with a vengeance on June 20th on Friday at the 1500 Limit Hold'em. I'll also see Jamie, who hosted last week with me and did a good job. He finished second in that event at one point. I finished third in that event nine years ago. So we'll see if we can't finish first and second. And I have other events on the schedule that many of you have seen in the 2014 World Series of Poker Forum here on Poker Fraud Alert. Something else I have. Poker Fraud Alert hats. I have... 70 Poker Fraud Alert hats. I have them in white. I have them in blue. I have them in black. I've posted pictures of the hats before. I've tweeted out pictures of the hats before. I have the hats. They are here. And I'm not selling them. They're not for sale. Uh, Some people have said, can I have a hat in lieu of my free roll prize? The actual answer to that is yes. Uh... The reason I would give them, I just said I'm not selling it, so why would I give it in lieu of the free roll prize? Well, my intention for these hats was to give them to the people who listen to the show and are dedicated to the show here, who've listened for a long time, or people who've posted on the forum a lot. People I know have followed Poker Fraudler for quite some time and are dedicated to it, whether it's in contributing or in listening. And there's some people that are now requesting hats and I don't know who they are. I'm sure they, you know, I'm sure they enjoy the site and the show, but I have no way to prove it or I have no way to th- know if they're just if they just showed up last week and just want a hat cuz they like free things. So, if you do win something in the free roll and you want me to send you the hat in lieu of that, I'll do it. Uh, you know, provided it at least covers the cost of the hat and my shipping to you. That's the only reason that uh, I would even take free roll prizes in lieu of that, because it does cost me money. It costs me money to have these hats made. It costs me money to ship them out. So uh, other than that, they're not for sale. And I'll just be giving them out over time, including at the World Series. Now, if you've co-hosted this show before with me, I'll send you a hat. If you have donated to the free roll in the past for at least $10, I'll send you a hat. Even if you are re-donating money that you already won. If you have been a long-time poster on this site, I'll send you a hat. If I know you've been a long-time listener, because I've interacted with you before, you've been in the chat room, you know, you know who you are if I know you're a long-time listener. I'll send you a hat. So if you're any of these categories, if you're in any of these categories, I will send you a hat or give one to you at the World Series. We already had someone make it pretty deep in the World Series wearing a Poker Fraud Alert hat, someone who has already received one. And if you see me at the World Series this year, 
Uh, you know, if if I know you at all, I'll give you a hat. Uh, if I don't know you, you know, I'll have to decide. I'm not going to carry a whole lot of them around with me because it's a pain in the ass. But uh, I, I'll probably bring a few of them down with me when I go play these World Series events to give away if I happen to run into someone. I'm not going to just hand them out at the table because we only have 70 of them. So I, I don't want to just shoot them off. And of course, I want to keep a few for myself. So that's the story here. And here's the list of topics for tonight. I guess before I get into that list, if you want to reach me, the phone numbers are 775-FRAUD55 is the main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can also text me at 702 623-1423 that's 702-623-1423 that is my text number and if you want to call the alternate phone number the Mount Charleston line you can call 702-430-1808 702-430-1808 and that line it's an old 70s telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston which is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas actually has snow on it, not right now, but during the winter and the spring. I posted on Poker Fraud Alert and my Twitter some pictures of me going up to Mount Charleston in April to visit the phone. I really did. You can see pictures of me on the way up there and actually on Mount Charleston itself with a lot of snow. So I did go to check on the phone and it's fine and it forwards to wherever I am, 702-430-1808 is that phone number, but you cannot text it. No matter which number you call, make sure you show your caller ID with star 82. So, here's our agenda this week, and you can also talk in the chat room, by the way, I just won't be able to monitor it that much because I'm doing the show by myself. Um... Let me go to the agenda here and give you that. Well, Dutch Boyd is at a final table right now of the one of the 1K No Limit events at the World Series. Only reason that's the first topic is because the table is going on right now and it's getting close to being finished. Three people were left. He had the second highest stack out of three last I looked. He was the chip leader with like half the chips for a while, but he lost some. But it'll be interesting if Dutch wins a bracelet, and we know he's going to get third-place money minimum here. So the question is, will Mason Malmuth be there looking to get his judgment? What's going to happen after Dutch comes into money? And is he going to pay Mason at all or find a way to not have to do so? So <laughs> we'll be monitoring that and see how Dutch is doing. And... I'll give you my theory as to what Dutch is going to do as far as the Mason thing. I know he said in an interview in the past that, you know, if he hits something big in the World Series, he'll pay it, but I kind of have my doubts. Well, something large that was paid was the purchase price for Poker Stars. Poker Stars no longer belongs to the Scheinberg family in Israel. PokerStars now belongs to a company named Amaya. 
they bought it for a very large sum of money. I'll tell you guys what that means for legalized poker in the U.S. and just poker stars in general. What does this purchase mean? Mike Matisau got a penalty for disruptive behavior. I can't believe that. I mean, uh, Mike Matisau is never known to be disruptive. (laughs) But uh, Mike Matisau did get a penalty late in an event for disruptive behavior. And he was very unhappy about that. And many fans and friends of Mike Matisau were unhappy about that. But we will talk about whether that was an appropriate penalty. And if anything, penalties are not being enforced enough on well-known players. Well, some of you have heard about Juicy Stakes Poker. Juicy Stakes is the newer... I shouldn't say new, but it's a it's a version of cake poker. Basically, cake poker started up, and uh, it remained for a long time. At one point, it was a reputable site a long time ago. Uh, then they started to have big-time payout problems. Then they became juicy steaks, because I, I guess cake was separating its U.S. and non-U.S. market. So they kind of spun off into juicy steaks for those that were still playing in the U.S., and they were part of the Revolution Network, you know, that uh, troubled network that uh, Locke was part of. And Juicy Stakes was having about the same success in paying players recently as Locke was. Basically, they weren't paying anyone. So Juicy Stakes was under new ownership and actually started paying people. The cash-outs were limited to 1K, and the Cash outs had big fees attached to them, but people were getting their money. But not anymore. The new management of Juicy Stakes is telling old players with big balances that they have to earn their ability to cash out. Pretty outrageous, but there's more to the story. We'll talk about that. Give you an update on the Negranu and Ivy anti-bracelet bet. Here on Poker Fraud Alert, we have $7,500 invested in Daniel Negranu and Phil Ivy not winning a bracelet. We have that bet with them. If neither of them win a bracelet this World Series, then we get $7,500 from them. If either wins a bracelet, then we lose $7,500. No way to tie it. I guess... Maybe a tie would happen if the World Series got canceled because, uh, I don't know, Las Vegas was hit with a nuclear bomb. But other than that, we're not going to tie. It's either going to be we win or they win. Well, I think we're about two to one favorites to win right now. We had another close call. And I'll talk a little bit more about the bracelet bet and the one drop event that's coming up that's going to be scary to watch because that's the one they have the best chance to win a bracelet in. Well, there was a lawsuit we've talked about on this show in the past. Haven't mentioned it in a while. It was a lawsuit against a New Jersey casino involving an unshuffled deck that players used to their advantage to win a lot of money when they noticed that the deck was not shuffled. Uh, We'll talk about the verdict in that lawsuit. It might surprise you. 
Poker pro Maurice Hawkins. I don't know him. I've never met him before, but uh, there's a report on 2 Plus 2, and I think I believe it, that he harassed a recreational player at the table at a World Series event, at a big buy-in World Series event, and now this recreational player kind of doesn't want to come back. I will tell you guys about the accusation and what I think of the whole thing. Another poker pro I haven't met but know of is Dale Phillip, a.k.a. Dale Roxhue. He has been fired from poker stars. Why has he been fired from poker stars? He was a poker stars team online pro. Was he fired for cheating? No. Was he fired for chip dumping? No. Was he fired for scamming? No. Was he fired for speaking badly of poker stars? No. So what did he do to get himself fired? He gave the middle finger to Spanish soccer fans. I'm not even kidding. That's why he was fired. He was fired for giving a double middle finger to fans of the Spanish national team at the World Cup. I'll give you my opinion on whether Poker Stars was right or wrong on this one, and my opinion might surprise you, unless you already read it in the forum, and then it won't surprise you. Finally, finally, my editorial for tonight, you know, we have Dutch Boy, who might win a bracelet. We have Eric Lindgren, who came close and cashed like 130000 we have just a lot of people in poker. I think Chino Reem ran deep this year. A lot of people in poker who are known to scam, who are known to owe a lot of money, who are known to be not very good people that keep getting staked and keep getting backed in poker. And my editorial is to tell everyone to stop backing the undesirables of poker, even if you think they can make you money. So that's my editorial for tonight. Anyway, let me give you a quick Dutch Boyd update. Dutch Boyd, still second in chips. Paul Cogliano, the leader with 2,025,000. Dutch Boyd with an even million. And Steven Norden almost at a million with 980,000. So, I mean, Dutch could easily finish third here, given that uh, he and Norden are so close. So, uh, basically, it's kind of reversed. It was just like this before, except uh, Dutch Boyd was the one with 2 million and Paul Cogliano had a million or so. So, it's been like this for a while. And we will follow it during this show and see if Dutch Boyd ends up winning. In case you're wondering what Dutch Boyd would win, finishes first, 288,744, minus whatever he has to give to his backers, provided he has backers. This is only a 1K event, so maybe he didn't get backed here. Second place, 178,000. And third place, 117,000. So the worst Dutch can do here is $117,000 minus whatever he has to give to any backers he has. 
Hmm. Well, since we're on the subject, let's talk about that. <laughs> Dutch Boyd currently is sitting with a judgment against him, a federal judgment, won by Mason Malmuth, against him for $60,000. Hmm. Maybe we'll have a co-host here. Caller, you're on the air. What's going on? Beer and poker here. Beer and poker. So are you calling just to call in or to co-host no, I'll here? Call, I'll co-host with you now. Oh, great. Great. Picked, see, this is great. I, I came into the show late. Uh, I had no co-host. I had no money for the free roll. I was very embarrassed for all these reasons. No co-host, no free roll money, starting over half an hour late. I mean, the whole thing was a disaster. And here we are. We've got everything now. So that's great. It's just everything came together in the last 20 minutes. So, okay, Dutch Boyd. Dutch Boyd with the 1K no limit final table. Mason Malmuth with a 60K judgment against him. I don't think that Mason will be able to do anything in time to stop Dutch from collecting. You know, Mason can't just show up with a judgment and tell the Rio, give those chips to me. He can't do that. He can he can show up and tell Dutch, hey, you owe me this money, give it to me. But then Dutch can give him the middle finger, which he, I'm sure he would. So Mason could get an injunction through his attorneys to, uh, you know, or a restraining order, basically um, stopping the Rio from distributing some of that money to Dutch and holding it to be decided whether Mason gets it. But the problem with these tournaments, unlike the main event, which is very slow and you get a good idea of who's winning and who's not, these 1K events, uh, it's very hard to tell going into the final day if he's going to cash relatively small or if he's going to catch huge. So I'm sure if Mason could have looked in the future and seen this, he could have had something ready. But uh, And I don't even know what the precedent is for this legally. I know when Jamie Gold was looking to stiff the guy he had half had given half the uh, tournament equity to, uh, Crispin Laser, that Crispin was able to get the $12 million prize, or $6 million of it, held up by Caesars until this got paid out, until this got decided, not paid out, but until it got decided about uh, what will happen with the money. But um, that was something that occurred over a period of months, whereas uh, this just happened over a period of like a day or two. How much of this do you think drop? Or how much drop do you think Dutch actually has on himself in this world? Series? That's what's so strange. You know, if this was a big event, I'd say very little, like five k or something. But I know Dutch is relatively broke. If you remember, Dutch stayed at the quad. Last year, but first he stayed with Scott Fishman. Then they had some kind of fight, and he left and stayed at the Quad, which is like the bottom tier uh, Caesar's property. So and I know that was a year ago, but Dutch himself claimed he was broke. I I wonder if Dutch is as broke as he claims to be, but I think there's a good chance he is. But at the same time, it's not that hard to come up with a thousand dollars of your own money. It's so, true, but sometimes you have a backer and they want to have all your actions. Yeah. So they'll back up your entire package of whatever events you're playing. So it could be in a spot like that too. You don't know. You know, I think you're probably right because he's played other events and there's no way he could look into a crystal ball and say, this is the one I want to play I'm going to do well in. I mean, these, these 1K events are very hard to predict 
because uh, you start with only 3,000 in chips, and even great players can't go anywhere if they don't get the cards. So I think that um, he probably only has a certain percentage of himself, maybe not very high, maybe you know 40% or 50%. or I, I don't think much less than that, but he'll still come away with enough money to pay the judgment, I think, especially if he wins. So I just don't know if, let's say Mason had seen this coming in some way, which is impossible. Let's say he did. Would he be able to get a restraining order that would prevent Dutch from collecting the last 60K there? I've never seen a precedent like that, where someone owes someone money unrelated to the tournament and is about to cash and they have to hold it up. The, the thing with Crispin Leiser and J.V. Gold was different because that was about that tournament. That was a matter of who's entitled to the winnings here. Well, there's no question Dutch is entitled to these winnings. The question is, does Caesars have to get in the middle of it when he owes other people money? I think they probably don't, and I don't know if they would want to. I don't or, think they would have to either. I mean, Yeah. I mean, I, they definitely wouldn't want to, but the question is, could a court require them to, or could a court just say, no, you know, Dutch gets the money and then uh, – but at the same time, if you have a job and there's a court judgment against you, they can garnish your wages. So Dutch doesn't have wages. Things like this are his wages. So I guess that ar- argument could be made too. I really wonder. I, I don't know if Mason's made any statement yet. I'm sure he knows about it. Okay, I just got some information. I was told that he's backed by Johnny Bax – and is in makeup. Oh, boy. I guess Mason's not going to see very much. <laughs> Unless, I mean, of course, being backed and being in makeup won't matter if there's some kind of court judgment. So it really wouldn't matter as far as Mason is concerned because uh, that doesn't really enter into it because it's Dutch entering the tournament in his name. So when he gets paid out, it's technically his money, and he just has to voluntarily hand it back to Johnny back. So I, I don't think Mason's getting anything, no matter what. It seems like he'd had to have something filed before, like the World Series of Poker would have started. Like if if, if uh, Dutch cash is big, that he's guaranteed to pay him. I, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, that's the weird. That's thing. a gray area. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, could you file that with? a court and get a judgment like could you get a garnishment against money that doesn't exist yet because we don't know he's going to get paid anything yeah it's not like he had the time really saw Dutch was at the final table yesterday filed something today before it even started yeah it, yeah there's no way so and, and get you know not just filing it but getting a judge to rule on it, there's no way right. like like there's no way this could be this quick so I, I don't even think it could be done so I think that what Judge Dutch is going to do with whatever money he walks away with. I don't know how much makeup he's in, but whatever he walks away with, he'll probably just keep the money and not in any bank account anymore, and then Dutch can't, uh, I mean, Mason can't touch it. So, anyway, uh, I see people in the chat room are starting to uh, already give me a hard time about my opinion about uh, Dale Roxu. So <laughs> we'll talk about that later in the show. I know a lot of people don't agree with me. And if there's more to the story that I don't know, then I'm willing to change my mind. I don't know the guy. So I, I know I kind of call him a young punk in the uh, forum, but that, that was just my impression from reading his Twitter and seeing pictures of him. And, you know, occasionally I'm wrong about that when I 
read someone's online material and then meet them in person and they're totally different. But uh, it's very possible that he's a decent guy. But I I, I still have an opinion different from most of you. Um, I'm seeing here that Blue Odom says Dutch is starting to look like Robert Varconier. <laughs> and uh, he looks rough for his age. Well, he's been through a lot of rough things. They're all his own doing, but he's been through a lot of rough things. Uh, Dutch, I'm trying to think how old he is now. I think he is 32, somewhere around there. So he's not that young. I admit he looks a little bit older than that, but he's not a young kid anymore. It's easy to forget that because you remember him as a young kid. No one thinks of me as a young kid because I never was, you know, when I entered poker. But uh, for the guys who were really young, in fact, someone was even talking about Daniel Negreanu calling himself Kid Poker and how he's been in poker so long and he still calls himself Kid Poker, but he's like almost 40. <laughs> and so so uh, he's definitely not a kid anymore. Anyway, let's... Uh, We'll follow the Dutch situation as the evening progresses. It's not the main story here. It's just something I thought was timely to mention. Here is the main story. A company called Amaya bought poker stars for a lot of money. How much money? Well, it was a lot more than... One million dollars. And yet at the same time, it was... A little bit less than one hundred billion dollars. It was in between there. Four point nine billion dollars was the price tag on Poker Stars. This is a pretty big story. Poker Stars has been owned by the Scheinbergs since the start in two thousand two, and uh, for. This to be now in other hands is a pretty big deal because you don't know how the new company is going to operate poker stars. Is it going to be the same poker stars that a lot of people know and love? And the things that people don't like about poker stars, uh, are those things going to change? So basically, here's what happened. Uh, Poker stars tried to get into the New Jersey market and failed. They were denied because of Isai Scheinberg and the current case against him. Uh, Basically, they said as long as Isai Scheinberg or any of the Scheinbergs are still involved, then PokerStars is never going to be part of the New Jersey legalized gambling market. Well, Isai Scheinberg had technically stepped down and his son was the CEO, but it doesn't take a genius to know that Isai really is still in control and his son is kind of a puppet. I'm sure his son you know, has a say in things too, but uh, obviously when a, a father steps down and the son takes over because the father is supposed to step down in order to give the company more legitimacy, uh, you know the stepping down isn't very legitimate. And New Jersey saw right through that and basically saw that as a sham. So He's basically, just by his name. He's just a name, but not really. Yeah. So basically, uh, New Jersey said, as long as the Scheinbergs are involved, and as long as we have a belief that Scheinbergs are involved, uh, we don't care if it's Isai or Mark, whatever, as long as they're here, no way. You're not getting in. You're not going to be part of the legalized New Jersey market, which is the 
much bigger of the two markets right now. Nevada has been kind of a failure. Even right now during the World Series, the Nevada online poker sites have been pretty dead. There's been a little action on WSOP.com, but it's been pretty dead. But New Jersey's done better. Not wonderful, not as much as they expected, but it's been doing better. And the big prize, the big, big prize, and I'm sure what motivated this sale, is California. California, there is no legalized online poker, but they're strongly discussing it. It will probably happen soon. So PokerStars really wants to be part of that California market, which will be huge. And it's not clear right now whether they would be allowed to be part of the California market because uh, the Morongo tribe is pushing a version of a bill that would let them. And then uh, a lot of other tribes have gotten together to try to shut out PokerStars. So PokerStars finally did something about it. Amaya Gaming purchased PokerStars for $4.9 billion. And this was basically, as Marco Valerio said, you know, formerly of Quad Jacks, he said that this deal was kind of tailor-made for the New, New Jersey situation, especially because Amaya already has a license over there. But it's also looking forward toward California and other markets in the United States. Now, Amaya will be paying $50 million as an immediate deposit. And then when the deal is officially closed, they will have to pay $4.45 billion in cash. That still leaves $400 million. That will be a deferred payment due uh, either in July of 2017 or 30 months after the official closing of the deal. So most of the money is going to be due upon official closing, whenever that is. Uh, this is what Mark Scheinberg said. He said, I'm incredibly proud of the business Esai and I have built over the last 14 years. <laughs> he doesn't even he, he doesn't even like pretend Esai is not involved anymore. We've built it over the last 14 years. It's not like the business that we built for the last... You know, for 13 years and the business I've been in charge of for the last one year yeah. or whatever. Uh, creating the world's biggest poker company and a leader in the iGaming space. Our achievements in this transaction are an affirmation of the hard work, expertise, and dedication of our staff, which I am confident will continue to drive the company's success. The values and integrity which have shaped this company are deeply ingrained in its DNA. David Bazov has a strong future, vision of the future of the Rational Group, which will lead this company to new heights. He's talking about the new CEO. So, um, you know, he, he's a Maya CEO, this uh, David Bazov. Uh, so, what's the story here? Uh, by the way, before I get to that, uh, how is Amaya paying for this? Well, they're getting the deal mostly financed. Uh, they have two point nine billion dollars worth of loans from three US bank three US based banks they got it from Deutsche Bank Barclays and Mercury Capital and they're getting another billion raised by issuing a series of preferred stock in Amaya and another 500 million raised through the placement of existing Amaya common stock so they're really scrounging for money here, basically. 
Um, their stock has actually gone way up because of the rumors that they were going to buy purchase uh, buy Poker Stars, and here's here's some other details. Um, after this transaction's over, Amaya will be the largest publicly traded online gaming company in the world. And let's see what else. Okay, so Mark Scheinberg, Isai Scheinberg, uh, they're, they're going to be disposing of their shares to a wholly owned subsidiary of Amaya, and they will resign from all positions and also any other principles of the company will resign from all their positions uh, from you know their existing uh, company and uh, you know, they'll be gone. However, the Rational Group's executive management team, basically the management team that's uh, in charge of Poker Stars and Full Tilt, aside from the Scheinbergs and other principal owners of the, uh, the site prior to this, are going to stay on. So it's going to be the same people you're dealing with except the people at the very top. It's basically the exact same poker stars except with different owners, which is important. Yeah, I, I think they care about the owners the most. They, they do. And that's, that, that's all, like New Jersey, that's all they wanted was the Scheinbergs to get out. So that's, but that's the problem here is that's what New Jersey wanted. That does not mean now that they will be able to get a license in California. That does not mean they will be exempt from the bad actor clause in California because it's the same poker stars. And it can now be argued that, look, even though the owners are different, the same management's in place. It's basically the same site. The same people who committed these crimes in the U.S. are still in charge there. They're just not the owners. So it's basically the same company. They could make a very strong argument here that who cares who technically owns it? It's the same management. It's the same site. They're still a bad actor. So they may not get licensed in California. This is not a guarantee. Now, it's possible California will see it differently and say, okay, well, different owners, um, you know, we're cool with that. It's also possible they'll see it in the way that this is unfair to the other rooms in uh, California that poker stars had such an unfair advantage to develop their business and their software by operating illegally all these years. So it's by no means a slam dunk they're going to get legalized in California. However, it's very likely now that they will get legalized in New Jersey. So if you're in New Jersey, you probably will be playing on poker stars after this is completed. Well, that's why I think the Scheinbergs, I mean, they realize that, hey, this is almost a guarantee. We, we can get a lot more money right now at the, you know, at the out, future outlook of if, if it gets legalization, you know, legalized in various states, that we can get money off of that, you know, that, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, that push of it, you know, just to, just to do that the possibility. But yeah, if, yeah, if, you're saying if that it the... doesn't get legal, then, hey, we're getting a bunch of money. So they're taking a risk. I mean, they're still cashing out with $5 billion, and they, uh, plus all the billions they made throughout the years. So, Yeah, yeah, they're basically doing what they think probably is selling high in that uh, the company's value went way up because of the possibility that it could enter the legalized U.S. market once the Scheinbergs are gone, like with any new owner. So that pushed the value of the company way up. 
And I have to say, that's a, a pretty high sale price of almost $5 billion. That's It's crazy to think about that a, an online poker company sold for almost $5 billion and one that right now cannot even operate at all in the U.S. legally and is not operating in the U.S. And they built the market up so huge overseas, though, internationally. Yeah. I know it's and it's like a it's it's really like a monopoly between Poker Stars and Full Tilt. They own so much of the market, and it's still it's like almost a cash cow where it's not even a uh, it doesn't cost them a ton of money to run. I mean, it, they are paying a lot of a staff of workers and everything, but it's the, the overhead isn't that that huge in a business like that. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty low the overhead compared to the money they're taking in. It's definitely a big money maker, and with the existing team in place, it can run very smoothly. And just continue what it's been doing, uh, but at the same time, that's a lot of money to spend, and it's a long time until we can break even on that expenditure. Now, of course, the the company has value in that you could resell it back to somebody else for something, so you're not you don't have to recoup uh, five billion dollars to break even here. But uh, but still, it's a big risk to pay almost five billion dollars for a company like this. But yeah, look, there's a lot of weird purchases that go on as far as internet sites go. I mean, look what uh, Google pays for sites that it buys. Sometimes they pay crazy money for sites that aren't even that big or that successful yet. So, And Yahoo does the same thing. So, I mean, is this really that crazy? $4.9 billion for poker yeah, stuff. A lot of times they have ideas and they, they're... In fact, those sites are hurting their ideas of growing. So they're just trying to buy them out and say, get out of the way. Yeah, I know sometimes that happens too. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens with this. Now, another question is, is this sale a sham or is it real? Now, how could it be a sham? Well, there could be some behind-the-scenes shenanigans where the Scheinbergs are still retaining some sort of secret interest that isn't being disclosed so it won't hurt the company with its attempt to offer games in the U.S., so are the Scheinbergers really, really out of the picture? Are they really gone from poker stars? They really have no power there anymore? They really have no ownership, no interest anymore once the sale goes through? Or is this possibly some sort of sham that is being done just to get them in the market? So, oh, I think, I think we lost uh, beer and poker. I'm here. Oh, you're here. Okay. Yeah, sorry. So I heard a click. Yeah. And the yeah. chat room is mentioning, yeah, 85 million registered players on the two sites. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of uh, potential. Yeah. Now, some of these players are duplicates, you know, who have accounts on both sites. But still, there's a lot of players. There's a lot of players between the two sites. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are just play money players, but still. Yeah, that too. That too. But uh, we'll see. We will see. And... Uh, be interesting if it turns out to be a sham sale but uh i I can believe it's a real sale that for this amount of money it was probably worth it for the scheinbergs who knew they were never going to get any kind of meaningful license to operate in the u.s where there was a good chance they wouldn't uh to let it go at this point and cash out big so that's what i think too seems like a good spot for them yeah so anyway we'll see if amaya can do anything with this some people are worried, okay, maybe it won't be the same poker stars without the Scheinbergs there. With the same management team there, it will be. It'll be the same site. They're really not changing very much at all. And I don't see very much about that 
changing very much either way. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever worked before for a company that's been acquired, but even though the name of your company may change, which in this case, it's not going to change, it's still going to be PokerStars, but even though the name may change or the owner may change, you still operate the same way. It's rare that a company gets bought and then operates completely differently, at least for a while. So uh, PokerStars has been doing it right for the most part, at least as far as how they've been making money. You know, I've been critical of some of their ethical decisions, but as far as their decisions as a business, they've been great. And I don't think that's going to change much. Uh, someone asking me in a PM in the chat room, what do you think it means for the PokerStars pros? And we'll talk, I guess we might as well talk about this next because uh, it's related in a little bit, but uh, you know, Dale Roxhue, AKA Dale Phillip was terminated as a pro. And there's been some conspiracy theorists who think that this was an excuse to start terminating pros, that they're going to look for every little thing to get rid of poker stars pros because there's just too many of them and they're costing the company too much money. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that Amaya is going to get into the minutia of how many poker stars pros they're employing and whether they're bringing value to the company. It's just, uh, I, I can't see them looking at it to that low of a level into the company. I, I think that if the management team has been doing a good job and making a lot of money and if the brand has a very good reputation, it's not going to change. It's very much like, you know, if if it works, don't fix it. So... If they brought in a whole different management team, then yeah, there are a lot of things could be different. But I, I believe it'll stay the same. Like PokerStars throughout the years has been good at listening to the players. It may take them a long time to finally implement an idea and such, but they've actually listened to people a lot better than any other site out there. And I think that'll continue on. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very much the same PokerStars. So if you like PokerStars, it's good news for you. If you hate it, then it's not good news for you. And if you want to see them in the U.S., it's uh, it's fairly good news. It's definitely good news in New Jersey. But for the rest of the company, uh, rest of the country, while this definitely increases their chance a lot, uh, don't go celebrating that you're going to be playing in Poker Stars on you know, on Poker Stars in California next year or in 2016, because you may not. You may not. It may never come to California or the rest of the country, depending upon how this sale is interpreted, especially with the same management in place. They did what they needed to do to satisfy New Jersey, but what they have to do to satisfy the other states and maybe a future a future federal legalization uh, effort, uh, that's yet to be seen. So, uh, in the chat room... Would Amaya be able to, like... If they get licensed in there, maybe they couldn't run as poker stars, but able to still use similar software in California or some other states. Well, like the software alone is just worth a lot of money. Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I don't think he would operate as poker stars. I mean, it might, but I, I thought he would probably be operating, like for example, in California, uh, Casino Morongo, just using the stars software, and. Poker Stars will be managing it. It's possible it would be called something like Casino Morongo at Poker Stars or something like that, but I don't know how they would brand it. But as far as I'm concerned, I I, I just don't think that... I think this is not over yet, especially with how the Indian tribes, the ones that are objecting to this, are not objecting based upon moral reasons. They're 
objecting for financial reasons. They know that that Stars has the best software. They know that if they have to compete with that software, that they're going to lose. So they're objecting for that reason, and they're just using the moral reasons as an excuse. But truthfully, they have a point because Poker Stars had a big advantage in developing this software. And they're going to say, look, this was developed with illegal money. It's not fair to have to compete against that. And that's going to be their next argument, I'm sure. Before it was, and, and I'm sure they're also going to throw in the argument, it's the same site, same management, same executives. Who cares if it's a different owner? So uh, someone saying in the chat room they're objecting out of fear. Yes, that's right. They are. They are yeah. objecting out of fear. That's true. I, I'll be the first to admit that. I, I just think that uh, they still have some good arguments in stopping this. Not as good anymore, but still pretty good. And uh, it, it depends upon the California legislature and the legislature in other states. So we'll see. So they were just a big name for so many years that they've got, I mean, all the players would just come back to poker stars. Yeah. They just know the site and how things are and everything. And in the chat room, uh, Grenada Rogers saying sooner or later, the owners will want to improve cash flow. And the way to do that is cut expenses. Well, I think their cash flow is excellent. So that's the problem here is I, I don't think there's a cash flow problem here. I think poker stars looks like a very smooth running business, a very profitable business. And this is one of these things that when you're doing so well, you just don't want to change anything for fear that maybe the changes will ruin it. If you think of New Coke back in the 80s, what a disaster that was, where they changed something very successful and, and the public revolted. So you got to be very careful with a business that even something that seems like it makes sense to change, sometimes you don't want to change anything if your business is doing well, or otherwise you may ruin uh, what success you had. Not that the, everyone's going to revolt against poker stars if some pros get fired, but they they may choose not to interfere very much with the current operations if everything's going well. I think it's just going to stay the same. Uh, now, speaking of a pro that did get fired, but not for reasons of cutting costs, Dale Phillip, this is such a weird story. It's the only way I can classify it is a weird story. Dale Phillip, who plays as Dale Roxhue, and I've never met the guy before. I remembered his screen name because I always found it to be obnoxious, Dale Roxhue. It's just, it's just the type of screen name I look at and it kind of pisses me off. It kind of just looks arrogant and uh, just like, like a young punk kind of screen name. Dale rocks you. But anyway, it's D- Dale, D-A-L-E-R-O-X-X-U. Uh, he got dropped from Poker Stars. And by the way, a lot of people say he's a nice guy and they get along with him well. So, you know, maybe if I met the guy in person, I think he's great. But um, I've never played with him before. Don't know him. But uh, if you want to see his website, it's Dale Rocks you, exactly as I spelled it. D-A-L-E-R-O-X-X-U dot C-O dot U-K. He was a member of PokerStars Team Pro Online, but is no longer a member. They dropped him on June 17th, today, over an incident that occurred at the World Cup, of all things. Yes, that World Cup. Uh, He was at a PokerStars event in Marbella, Spain, the UK IPT event. And they had some kind of uh, big screen party as part of the event. It was an event put on by Poker Stars. They had some kind of party to watch Netherlands and Spain play on the big screen in the World Cup. Well, since the 
party took place in Spain, the event is taking place in Spain, you can imagine that most of the people watching were pro-Spain. They were Spanish people who really wanted Spain to win. And they take soccer very seriously. They call it football over there, but they take it very seriously in those European countries. It's like, uh, you know, huge over there. So, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if he just hated Spain or if he has some uh, uh, Dutch blood, but Dale was very anti-Spain and was loudly cheering for the Netherlands during the match. Which is fine, he has the right to cheer for who he wants. And his loud cheering was already annoying the Spanish locals that were present at this party. What was even worse was the fact that Spain was losing badly. Spain ended up losing 5-1 to one in this match. So it's not even like you have an obnoxious guy cheering for a team that you know, is not the home team. Is not you know he's in an environment where everyone's cheering one way and he's cheering the other, but um, you know you're still killing his team so you don't care. Uh, here it was kind of like rubbing salt in the wounds that their precious Spanish national team was getting its butt kicked. So when the Netherlands scored one of their goals, Dale put up both middle fingers. He was like celebrating, yeah, yeah, and holding both middle fingers in the air. Kind of like, fuck you, Spain. Maybe even fuck you to the Spain fans. He didn't say fuck you, but you know, he ran around and went, ah, with, his, with his two middle fingers in the air, according to reports. And he admitted this. It's not a false accusation. So there were people at this party, obviously, who were poker players. In fact, most of them were because it was the Poker Stars big screen party. And he was wearing a Poker Stars logo. He was there because Poker Stars sponsored him. They, they paid for him to enter the tournament. They paid for his hotel. They paid for his flight. And in return, he's wearing the Poker Stars patch. And he has to attend their events. So he started getting some very angry tweets about his behavior. That Dale's being very rude, he's being inappropriate. Uh, Really angry people on Twitter who were present there. And Dale thought this was kind of cowardly to tweet about him when they're in the same room as him, but regardless. Uh, So he decided to tweet back after the game was over. He said, Spaniards! Sorry you lost a game of football, and sorry I was cheering loudly for the other team, but you really need better tilt control. Good game. Insulting me and threatening me on Twitter when you're 10 meters away from me is redonkulous. Just a game. Cheer up and let's be friends. So a Spanish guy named Alex Hernando responded, Don't think the first person that insulted somebody were you with multiple two fingers? Surely people from Poker Stars don't stand your behavior. So it's kind of broken English, but he's trying to say, you're the one who started with the insults by sticking your middle fingers at us. I don't think Poker Stars is going to like this. And then he wrote to him, he wrote also to Dale, and finally, maybe you should think about the patch you were wearing. I'm 200% sure that Poker Stars would not stand for your, quote, celebration moves. So then Dale responded to him, Yes, I admit that it's rude, but in the context of a football match, celebration, it's very normal. So what he's trying to say is, 
Normally, yes, sticking two middle fingers in the air is rude. But when you're celebrating because your soccer team is winning, that's very normal. Which further enraged the situation because he wasn't apologizing. Instead, he's just saying, yeah, I was fine. Normally, it's rude, but in this case, it was fine. So I guess this either got reported to Poker Stars or... uh, it was brought to their attention. I have to think some people emailed poker stars about this and gave him a hard time and uh, you know, told them, hey, this is one of your sponsored players. Look how he was acting at one of your own events. So four days later, which was today, just before he got on the plane to leave Spain, uh, he got the bad news from poker stars. You're not one of our pros anymore. You're gone. We're firing you. And there's been a lot of anger about this. A lot of people are angry about Dale Roxu being fired for this reason. Saying that there's a lot of scumbags in poker. a lot of bad people in poker. But Dale isn't one of them. The only thing he did was acted rude during a soccer match. And that this isn't a good reason to fire him. And I can understand that point of view. Also interestingly enough is that uh, other than Poker Fuse on their F5 poker brand, I don't see any poker news sites covering this situation. I covered it on Poker Fraud Alert, and as I said, Poker Fuse covered it, but I don't see any of the major poker news sites covering this one, which is interesting. Uh, Someone theorized that this is because they don't want to offend poker stars, who's a a big sponsor of theirs. So you think he should have been fired or shouldn't have? Well, okay, so I was going to get to that, yeah. Okay. So, so I think, uh, yes, I think he should have been fired. I don't think what he did was awful. But I think he should have been fired only for the reason that when you represent a company, you need to be on better behavior than you normally would when you're just on your own. And he was actually representing the company at that moment. I don't mean he has to watch himself 24-7 with everything he says and does. Though you do have to also keep a certain level of personal integrity and and good behavior when you represent a company. But um, when you're wearing the company logo, when you're representing them at the moment, you have to act how they want you to act. That's the way the world works. And if you don't want that, if you don't want a company controlling how you behave, then you should not take their money. Then you should go work for yourself where they cannot tell you what to do. So uh, that's what I think some people aren't understanding, is that PokerStars has their standards. PokerStars... I'm sure in their contracts it says, if you 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 do anything that's negative towards our company, we look at it that way, we can terminate your contract at any time with us. They probably have that right in this. Yeah, in oh, the, they definitely have the right. I'm sure that's in there. And the question is, well, should they have? Well, I don't think either way it's it's terrible. If they didn't terminate him, that's totally fine. If they did, that's also fine. I, I think that they were reasonable in the way they acted because they did not think that Dale was acting in a way that they wanted their company represented. They did not want one of their pros wearing their patch flipping people off at a Poker Stars event. Even if it's I, just about soccer, you know, that he was flipping people off at a poker stars event. They don't want him representing the company that way, period. 
thing is, people do take soccer really, really seriously, though. And it's, it's a game, and maybe I, it's, it might be blown a little bit out of proportion as far as that goes. And I can understand them not liking the way he was representing their company, but he's invited to a party. Everybody's probably drinking a lot of these people. And they're just getting into the excitement and the heat of the moment watching a, um, a soccer match. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Maybe I think he probably reacted a little too hard. Maybe he should have offered a better public apology saying, I'm really sorry if I offended you, but... I don't know if I'd have terminated him for it, but they do have the right. It is within their rights to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's within their rights, and I, I can see it on both sides, really. I can see where people say this is an overreaction. Like, when I heard about this, I didn't say, oh, wow, he totally should have been fired. Wow, that was awful. Like, if they said, we're not going to do anything about it, I'd say, all right, fine. But at the same time, if they say, we don't like this, this isn't the way we want our company represented, fine. I get your point, too, though, that – when you put people together at a soccer match where they feel very passionate about their team, um, you have to expect some things like this. And uh, um, Now, Hockey Guy said in chat, I'm, I'm sure the butthurt Spaniards were perfectly respectful throughout this entire ordeal. <laughs> so I'm sure he brings up a good point. I'm sure that uh, there were probably some obnoxious Spanish fans there. But what I haven't heard is that he did this because any Spanish fans were taunting him or flipping him off or or doing anything to him to bring this on. I I really think probably the most obnoxious fan there was him, and he was representing the company. I think that's the big problem. So um, uh, Grenada Roger asking, was Howard Lederer at the party? (laughs) I I can see him not walking out of there without having a few... Spaniards beat them down, but I don't know. It's that's what it is. You're you're, you're so involved in soccer it, uh, in Europe, and he probably overreacted. I mean, or he definitely, I think he overreacted. But I don't know if it was a reason to terminate him. That's just my take. But I, I but they were within their rights to do so. Yeah, they they, they were. Terminate you for they could terminate you for anything. A lot less than that, and they have in the past. Yeah. So and, and people are saying, well, what about people who did worse that are still poker stars pros? I'm like, well. I don't know who they are. Like, who are you talking about? Um, I don't know of any scammers or anyone else like currently on the Poker Stars rolls. If you know of any like that, then you know, bring it to my attention. Not that I have any power to stop them or get them fired, but I'll be the first to say, yeah, they should be gone too. But I, I don't know of any objectionable Poker Stars pros at the moment on Poker Stars. I don't know the history of all of them, but. Uh, at the same time, I think that uh, I can totally understand their point, that they want someone who's going to behave professionally all the time when wearing their logo. And so that's that's pretty much the story. And, uh, you know, I, I actually have a little sound clip here that I was looking to play of... Uh, of Dale Rock, Dale rocks you when they asked him if he remembered at all, um, how he acted there, if they rem- he remembered at all, even interacting with this Alex Hernando guy who complained about him, and this is what uh, he had to say. I have no recollection. I remember one time at a party. <laughs> so, I can't hear it. I don't know. It's probably. Oh, uh, it didn't go through. No, well, for me, I mean, they may be able to hear it. I can't hear it, though. Oh, man. It's weird how Skype does this. This happened one time before. Yeah, it happened one time when I did a show, too. I don't know. I wonder why that is. Because, like, like um, 
Let me look at the sound settings. Because I remember, I think I had a, a caller on here one time who couldn't hear the sound effects I was playing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Now someone trying to call me. Man. No one leave me alone tonight. Listen to that. i got to turn off that ringer in this room. People have to know that I'm doing a show. How dare they. Alright, so, um... He's no longer an employee of STARS, and... I don't think that's going to change. I don't think they're going to backpedal at this point and change the uh, the firing because that'll make them look bad like they made the wrong decision in the first place. I think they're just going to stand by it. You know, like once Stars makes a decision, they usually stand by it and just try to like, sweep all dissension at, under the rug. Yeah, I believe that's the right stance. Once you make you decide to fire somebody, you got to stand by it. Yeah. Someone asking me on Twitter... Are you changing your tune on Poker Stars? No, I'm not. You know, I've always tried to be fair to everyone and every site. And even though I've had a lot of anti-Poker Stars rants on here, when I feel they're in the right, I'll say that too. So I'm not looking for every opportunity to bash Stars, and if I was, I'd be totally all over them today about this, but I'm not. So I just uh, I look at each situation on its own merits, and I uh, give my opinion, and Maybe the same as yours, maybe different than yours. Okay, so uh, moving on to the next subject here. So many distractions today. Mike Mattisau. He also acted in a disruptive fashion and suffered for it. And similar to the Dale Roxy situation, there's controversy about that as well. And similar to that situation, uh, I actually have an opinion that probably differs from that of a lot of people. So, let me uh, tell you what happened here. Um, Mike Mattisau was, giving, was given a one-round penalty for, uh, I think it was called disruptive behavior, or outrageous behavior, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And he was really pissed off. So basically what happened was uh, um, he was near the end. He was very deep in the $2,500 Omaha 7-card stud high-low event. He ended up finishing 19th. And he was already getting very riled up during a big hand. Mike Mattisau said, if I win this pot, everyone will be playing for second, which is typical Mattisau to say something like that. And he was waiting for 7th Street to be, doubt, to be dealt and said, come on, I deserve this. And uh, was screaming, screaming, come on, I deserve this. Well, then the dealer put down 7th Street and Mike Mattisau won. And he started cheering loudly, ran away from the tournament area, and and this is a pretty quiet room by this point. It was pretty late at night. In the Amazon room, it was pretty quiet in there. So he's screaming at the top of his lungs, running around because he won that pot. Uh, then, then he came back after running around the room and screaming and started pounding his fist on the table in celebration like this. Wow, that was a great hand. 
Wow, that was such a hand. Oh my god, this hand. And pounding the table. It's the Havad Khan rule. <laughs> so he, he then pulled in the massive pot. And then he was given a penalty by a floor man named Dave Lamb. Not related to Ben Lamb, by the way. But Dave Lamb gave him a penalty. And, excessive celebration. Yeah. yeah. Excessive, outrageous behavior. Actually, it turned out not to be excessive celebration. That was the okay. one of the incorrect rumors that was reported first. Uh, Madison was so pissed during this penalty that when he returned to the table, he was on tilt and shot off all his chips and ended up with a whopping... $7,784 payday. And then you have to subtract 2500 he bought in, so he, he barely made $5,000 on this whole thing. So he was furious about this and said, look, this is just me. This is just me being excited that I won. I wasn't hurting anyone. Why are you giving me a penalty at such a late stage in the tournament when it matters so much with 20-something people left in the tournament? How can you give me this this kind of penalty. It was twenty four people left when this happened, so he said, "You know, twenty four people left. You cannot give me a penalty over something stupid like this. It it changes the tournament. It's just being petty." And a lot of players were very much on his side. Daniel Negreanu was very much on his side and uh, went to bat for him. And uh, a lot of people were saying, and then it was actually looked up that the excessive celebration rule had been removed. It didn't even exist anymore. So that got people really pissed off that in the absence of an excessive celebration rule that got removed after being there a few years after Havad Khan was uh, creating a disruption with his celebration, I think in 2007, but that two years ago they got rid of the excessive celebration rule. So that really made it look terrible that he got a penalty for a rule that did not exist. But is that really what happened? No. It turned out that he was given a penalty for a rule that is about disruptive behavior, which is different than excessive celebration. So let me let me find this here. Um, is that because he pounded on the table? Yeah, uh, just the whole thing that he ran around screaming in the room and just created a disruption there. That's basically what he got uh, uh, got the penalty for. And um, let me get to this here. lost the link somehow. I know Chad Holloway, uh, he tweeted this out. I'll have to find it somewhere. Someone has in the chat room the the link that uh, Chad Holloway tweeted out. Uh, that would be useful. Otherwise, I'll have to just uh, paraphrase what I remember about the whole thing. Let's see. See the chat room. You guys have it? Team MLK tell me to... Uh... Well, in the meantime, while, while I'm looking for this, uh, here is from Alan Jaffrey Shulman, who's one of the Shulman family that I'm not very happy with because they ran lock 
poker ads on their site for almost a year after knowing how shady they were. But Alan Jaffrey Shulman was at the table. She's the wife of uh, card player owner Barry Shulman. And uh, she said a lot of things about uh, this situation and tried to set the record straight. This is what she said. There's been so much dis- inaccurate discussion regarding the penalty issued to Mike Mattisau by Dave Lamb that I needed to add some facts. But first, I want to say a bit about my past. Now, forget about this. She's saying how she was a criminal defense attorney, that she wants to defend people who are accused, blah, blah, blah. Um... I'm going to be the lone voice supporting the World Series of Poker's decision to give Mike Matisau a penalty, and let it be known that I have no desire whatsoever to be involved in this or any other controversy. When the $2,500 OE tournament got down to 24 people, there was a redraw. I was moved to a table with Mike Matisau. From the moment we were seated, the players were subject to Mike's constant stream of profanities. Whatever subject he was discussing included expletives such as Mike saying he had the worst fucking luck, or some other fucker did this, or some asshole did this fucking bullshit. It was as if the table was his personal stage. His loud, fast-talking, ill-mannered, vulgar barrage was almost frantic like someone who had way too much coffee. After listening to about ten minutes of nonstop swearing, I started looking around for a floor man to see if someone would tell Mike that his constant stream of vulgarities lacked civility and he needed to ramp it down. That never happened, nor did the dealer say anything. At the time, I thought this was a mistake on behalf of the World Series, because if Mike had been put in his place, perhaps things would not have escalated. Recently, I learned some additional facts that we'll address later. On the hand in question, Mike was involved in a three-way stud pot. Mike raised on 4th Street, and while waiting for one of the players to act, Mike was staring at the player and mumbling something to him. The player to my right asked me what Mike was saying and if Mike was taunting him. Eventually, that player folded. After Mike won the pot, he started screaming he was the greatest fucking player in the world. No one fucking deserved this like he did, etc. He pounded on the table, making the chips shake, and then started running around the room, whooping, hollering, yelling, jumping, and swearing. Wow. I, you know, I believe all this, even though it's coming I from... I believe it too. It's funny, I, though. <laughs> even though it's coming from uh, Barry Shulman's wife, I well, actually say that totally sounds like him, so... Uh, I've heard from like from saying she's miserable to play with at the table. I don't know, but that's what I've read. Oh, you heard you heard, you heard that Alan Jaffrey Shulman is a yeah. She's just miserable to play with. Well, you know, oh. she. I, I understand why she's miserable. She lives with uh, Barry all that time. So, <laughs> if, you're, if you're married to Barry Shulman, a card player who runs uh, Lockheads for a year, I'd be miserable too. But but anyway, no, um, that's interesting though. I hadn't heard that about her. But uh, anyway. I believe all this, you know, knowing Mike Mattisau, I, I believe he did everything she's saying here. So she I goes, she, yeah, so she goes on to say that um, a number of players at the table who were obviously fed up with Mike's shenanigans eventually called the floorman and asked about Mike's excessive celebration. It was the players who complained. Now, why would the good folks at the table do that? Clearly, Mike had been out of line since the redraw. So after he won the pot and continued his loud, foul-mouthed, unruly behavior, some players finally had enough and complained. Dave Lamb came over to the table to see what the commotion was about. He did not walk over and issue a penalty. He came over and asked what had happened. Immediately, Mike got up and got into Dave's face. Dave calmly asked Mike to step away from the table to discuss what had happened. Mike started going nuts. Dave calmly, quietly, but firmly asked Mike a number of times to step away from the table. Not only did Mike refuse to move from the table, he was up in Dave's face, yelling and cursing with his normal diatribe of vulgarities, 
bellowing something like, you can't fucking give me a bullshit fucking penalty. That'd be the worst fucking ruling in the history of poker with emphasis on the word fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, it was only at that point David Lamb said quietly, now I am giving you a one-round penalty. Hooray, finally someone said enough is enough. I'm pretty sure the penalty was not for excessive celebration, but rather for getting into the face of the floor man and loudly swearing at him when the floor man was simply gathering the facts and assessing the situation. At least that was the moment when the penalty was finally issued. I recently learned from an interview Mike gave that hours earlier, Mike did receive a warning from Dave Lamb for his foul language. Although he received a warning, he ignored it and continued his constant stream of, his constant stream of expletives. What was also not reported was during the one-round penalty, Mike came back to the table, still swearing, and uh, threatening and saying it was the worst fucking bullshit penalty in the history of the World Series of Poker. So... So he you know, was warned then. Yeah, he was okay, warned so. apparently. So, I, you know, look, um, I, I, it does say in uh, Rule 39B of the official tournament rules uh, that players are entitled to civility. And then Rule 45 says, Rio prohibits the use of obscene or foul language in any public area in the casino at any time. Any participant who uses such language or makes a foul, profane, obscene, or vulgar statement or speaks abusively or in an intimidating manner to another participant or dealer or tournament staff member will be penalized. So, you know... Wasn't there that rule a couple years ago if you said fuck during the main event you got a penalty automatically? For a long time at every tournament everywhere you would get an automatic penalty for saying the word fuck at all. And it happened to me before. Like, like, uh... Um... Uh, like just dumb things. Like I wouldn't be aiming it at a player, but I, I just say something like, uh, oh, fuck, I can't believe that happened to me. And then uh, they're like, oh, penalty. And then they give me like a 10-minute penalty. It pissed they me off. They always thought it was in a tone. If you're actually cursing a player out and telling them to the fuck off and all that or something, it's different just saying, what the fuck, you know, just. Yeah, well, they changed. That's, that's why it changed. Don't use it. That's why it changed. So it used to be just if you use the word fuck, you get a penalty. And then they realized how dumb it was. Like, it was amazing because I'd be at tournaments and I'd like, I'd say the word fuck in that way and get a penalty. Yet some really abusive asshole who like threatens people and, and, and insults them and puts people down. He can't get a penalty. (laughs) So they finally changed it around to where, uh, saying fuck is okay. As long as you're not directing it at someone in an abusive manner. Now, Mike wasn't directing it at anyone in particular here, but he was running around screaming and and saying it over and over at the table and causing a disruption. So I have to say that since I believe these reports and since he was warned before that he was creating a disruption and uh, and, and then created even bigger disruption when the floor man came over, at some point you've got to penalize the person. I know if I behaved that way and they gave me a penalty, I, I wouldn't be going, oh, my God, this is an outrage. So he's a very, very passionate player. But, yeah, if he was already warned once, I, I, you know, the penalty seems unjustifiable. I mean, yeah. And or even if you just create I think if you create a huge disruption in the room, a penalty is fine. You just got to use common sense in these things. Like, I I think that uh, they do need to come up with kind of a common sense rule. I know they don't like doing this because it can be open to interpretation and abuse by floor men who give favoritism. But they do that anyway. Uh, But. I think they need to figure out a way to give penalties 
really in situations where they're deserved, or I think he, this one was, and don't give it in situations where someone technically violates a rule but didn't do anything with malice or anything that bad. Let me give you a personal example. In the 2010 main event on day six, I got a penalty, and I did not have a very big stack. I was furious about this. Uh, someone raised, I was in the big blind. I had 8-5 offsuit in the big blind. Someone raised, and I thought I saw it, saw it go fold, 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 fold back to me. I wasn't paying that much attention because I knew I was folding my hand with 8-5 offsuit. So it goes raise, what I think is fold, 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 fold back to me, and I just flip up my 8-5 offsuit, which I sometimes do in the big blind. I'm like, I'll, sh- I'll flip up a real trash hand when someone raises me. Uh, part just to add some lightheartedness to the tournament, part because I want to give a message that my blind isn't an automatic easy steal that... Uh, you know, that I'm folding because my hand's so terrible. So I always flip up hands like that, provided there's no nobody else in the hand besides the razor. Well, that's what I thought I was doing, but apparently somebody called in an area of the table I couldn't see very well, and I was exposing my cards there because, you know, it was a, there was a cold caller there. So Tristan Wade, who has since apologized for this, but I'm still kind of pissed about it, Tristan Wade, who was at the table, goes, ah, ah, that's a penalty, that's a penalty. He wasn't even in the hand. And they called him the f- like the one or the nine seat. I can't see sometimes, and the people I fold out a turn sometimes accidentally. Yeah, I think I was one in the one seat. seat. I think yeah. one or two seat or something. Yeah, something like that. So, so he goes, ah, ah, it's a penalty, it's a penalty. So they call the floor man over, and the pe- floor man says, yeah, it's a penalty. And I'm, I was furious about this. I, I'm like, look, this is day six, the main event. I, I can't afford a penalty here. And I, I'm like, I didn't do it on purpose. I, I, I explained exactly what I did and why. It was an accident. I'll be careful not to do that again. And he said, look, I totally understand it, but we're required to give a penalty if this happens without exception. I cannot make an exception or I'll get in trouble. I'm sorry. I totally feel for you. Um, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I absolutely have to give you this penalty. Uh, I found out that Almost at the exact same time, like maybe a few minutes earlier, Theo Tran got a penalty for the identical thing, strangely enough, where he turned over what he thought was a big blind, and uh, you know, it turned out that uh, there was someone else in the hand. So we were both in a penalty almost at the identical moment, and I was just sitting there pissed on the side while I'm waiting for that round to pass and get back in. It seems like they should have just been a warning, but I, mean, I guess, I mean, to be fair, at least they gave him one too and didn't just let him off while giving you one, so. Yeah, yeah. Even though I it's know. a stupid rule, but I, uh, at least, yeah, they, so what at least I'm... they were enforcing it uh, effectively. Right, right. So I, I didn't feel like they were singling me out or treating me unfairly, but I just thought, what a stupid rule. What a stupid rule that if someone exposes their cards because they think the hand's over and it's clearly an accident... And everyone agrees it's an accident. Even Tristan Wade said, yeah, I agree it's an accident. Like, no one questioned it was an accident. So if everybody at the table is cool with it and says, okay, this guy screwed up and it was an accident, don't give him a penalty. Like, they need to have these common sense rulings, or at least common sense to where the worst they can do is a warning if something's like an accident and the person doesn't mean malice by it. And, um, you know, it's just they need some sort of, common sense evaluation process before handing out these penalties, especially late in the tournament when they can mean so much. And I wonder sometimes, you know, even though I didn't bust soon after that, you know, after you know, it's possible it even helped me because I did double up shortly after that happened, so I would have gotten different cards, maybe I wouldn't have doubled up. But still, I had a penalty for a round where I couldn't play a hand, 
I finished 88th in that event. I wonder, could I have done better? I wonder, yeah. could this have changed? What would have happened to me? It could have changed. Yeah. Now, in Mattisau's case, if uh, it, it's not that their fault that he tilted his money off afterwards. It's his own. He, he's been no. playing poker long enough to realize he, he just came back there and just completely just try to tone it out of his, block it out of his mind and just play poker instead of letting it tilt him. Yeah. If that, it did. I mean. No, and that's true. And that's that's uh, we even had a prank call on the show one time where Colonel Fabersham called the Aria and claimed because the parking lot tilted him so much that he shot off like thousands of dollars there at the poker room, and uh, and they actually offered to give him a free room there. Colonel Fabersham could actually stay in the Aria for free one like for a weekend if he wanted to. It's the only problem is he doesn't exist, but uh, uh, he is in the system there. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, it's definitely not the. It's not the World Series' fault that he tilted off his chips. And uh, there's actually a legal precedent for that where you're not allowed to sue anyone for how their behavior caused you to then mess something else up later on. Like there's only so much that uh, their actions can affect you. Like, like for example, if, uh, um, if, if you punch me in the face and um, – and for stuff, after you hit me in the face, I can't see as well. And then I voluntarily go play a poker cash game at Commerce and lose a lot of money because I couldn't see the board well and, and kept making mistakes. I can't sue you for the fact that I couldn't see the board well and lost money playing poker. I could only it's, sue it's you free, for... It's a free roll. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, could only, okay. I could only sue you for the uh, you know, the medical costs of punching me, you know, of, of uh, treating the wound and the pain and suffering, but I could not sue you for deciding to play poker when I... I'm not physically right. up to it after hitting me. Even though it's your fault for hitting me, it's still um, – I couldn't sue you for that because it's my choice to go still sit and play poker at that point. So uh, similarly here, uh, Mike Manis out tilting off his chips is his fault, but I think this was a bad – sorry, I think this was a good penalty anyway. And uh, I think the World Series is getting – kind of a raw deal here. And this Dave Lamb guy is getting a raw deal when he, he was just keeping someone from disrupting the whole thing. They so. wouldn't be talking about it if it was some random person who's played like their second tournament at the World Series of Poker. Exactly. exactly. It's Mike Matisau. He's been around for a long time. He's a household name for poker players. That's why he gets he's going to hear about it. And that's why people are going to say he got a bad deal. Some people. Some of them are just supporters of him. But... Um, that's, exactly. That's because Mike Manitso. There's so much favoritism already going on there. And and that's what's so outrageous here is because if it happened to me, if I was acting obnoxious and screaming and running around the room and saying, fuck this, fuck that at the table the whole day, and I get a penalty, um, you know, if I came and complained about this on 2 plus 2, I'd get laughed off the site. Well, I already am off the site. But if I was still on the site, I'd get laughed off there. People would say, you brought this on yourself. What's your problem? Why couldn't you shut up? Why are you running around the room screaming? What do you expect is going to happen? Like, I would get killed on there if I said that. But because it's Mattisau, uh, and because he, you know, they go, well, that's just Mike's personality. Well, it is, but he has to get a penalty like anyone else. And there's been so much favoritism going on at the World Series over the years. I'm glad to see that a rule was enforced against a big-name pro, no matter who it is. And, I mean, I've seen... So many instances of big-name pros getting away with things that others wouldn't, and even things that aren't 
in the category of getting away with things, but just extra special treatment or favoritism, such as I remember last year, I think it was at the 1500 uh, limit event. Uh, Phil Ivey was briefly at my table at the end of the day. And when the day was over, they bagged chips up. Phil Ivey just stands and walks off. He just stood up and walked off and they bagged his chips for him. Mm -hmm. Now, if I stood up and walked off, when I come back the next day, you know how pissed they'd be? I'm sure they'd give me a penalty for it. I'm sure they would say, you know, you made us bag your chips. You have to bag them like everyone else. But Ivy, you know, the, the floor man comes over and dutifully bags Ivy's chips for him. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's like, that's sweet. It's, you know, who, who feels like standing around there and bagging your chips and labeling the bag? What a pain in the ass. But uh, if you fill Ivy, you don't have to do it. They do it for you. So with all the favoritism out there, I'm actually glad to see something like this. And I have nothing against Mattisau. If you remember on a recent show, I praised Mattisau and said good things about him. So I don't mind Mattisau himself. Uh, I just think that this penalty was proper. So can't believe on this show here, I have actually defended both poker stars and Caesars. What's happening <laughs> yeah. to me? What is happening to me? I'm uh, the, the two companies I like to bash the most here. Well, not the most. I, when I start defending lock poker, you'll really know something's wrong. Well, but, they'll, they'll be hard to defend because yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Right. <laughs> that's a, they, they can't even give me the slightest reason to defend them. But, you know, I think even if Locke showed up tomorrow with everyone's money and paid them, I'd still bash them because I'd say like, why did it take this long? Why were you not communicating? Why were you stalling everyone? Why I mean, why were you lying to everyone? Like, I, nothing they could do at this point actually would make me praise them. But yeah, I mean, paying would help, but yes. definitely we'd still have the questions. No, a lot of questions. So anyway. Uh, let's move on to the next topic here, uh, which is, which is, which is, oh, juicy steaks. Well, you know what? I'll finish off with the World Series before we get to juicy steaks. Uh, two, two more World Series topics. The Negranu bracelet bet update. Before we get to that, though, I should give, uh, a different type of update related to the World Series. And that is, at the moment, we still have three people left at the 1K no limit. Steven Norden, who was in third, is now in first with 2.275 million. Dutch Boyd has 1.53 million and Paul Cogliano has 1.265 million. Now, what's weird is it's like they gain chips overall. On the t- I don't know how this happened here, but now it looks like there's 5 million chips on the table instead of 4. I think Poker Stars is a little bit confused. I don't know what to say here. Somehow extra t- news. Somehow yeah. like a, a million a million in extra chips has just appeared on the table. Well, on, yeah, on the uh if you're looking at Poker News, where it shows the players left, it does show the total chips in play is 5,064,000. So yeah. So I guess they had something wrong before. I don't know what. They, they must have miscounted something before. Maybe they finally figured it out. So I just happened to load that up. That's really weird. Like, I, I've been looking at these updates all day, so it's not even like one update was wrong. Like For, for like a long portion of the day, there was like 4 million chips or so on the table. Now there's 5. That is so strange. But okay. I mean, they do a color up. It probably changed a little. but <laughs> and not by And not yeah. by 25%. That's the strangest thing. Like, How are they counting their chips and getting a million chips off? That's insane. 
How are they missing a million chips out of five billion when they're counting? What is wrong with you, Poker News? It's crazy. This isn't the Bellagio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where were those million chips? Does somebody have them in their pocket? Did Dutch maybe have a million dollars of chips in his pocket and just pull them out mm-hmm. when he got short? Crazy. Anyway, that's the the uh, the apparent update now is two point two seven five million chips, one point five three million, and one point two six five million. Those are the chip counts for. Uh, Steven Norton in first, Dutch Boyd second, Paul Cogliano in third. So they're battling it out here. Anyway, uh, getting back to the uh, Negranu and Ivy bracelet bet, I think we're in pretty good shape here. When I say good shape, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk to win, but we're definitely a big favorite at this point to win. I think we're about two to one, just my rough calculations in uh, our chances to win. Yeah, so, these guys' best chances is in a lot of the smaller events yeah. that, that nobody plays. Like, yeah, so there's still a dealer's choice event which could they, which could favor the, both of those players, but I mean, there's a lot of no limit hold'em games left. Well, I'll tell you what's left and, I'll tell you what's left here. Uh, first of all. Something I didn't even list, but I, I must have messed up. There's a seven-card stud event that just went uh, – it's not even finished yet, I think, but it's uh, almost finished. Event number 34, Negreanu finished 10th in that. Negreanu's had a lot of deep runs in this World Series where Ivy hasn't had any. So Negreanu has been the big threat here, but he just hasn't gotten it done. I think he's had two 10th-place finishes, and he had that second, and I think he had one other that was like 18th. So he's gotten close like four times now. But hasn't done it. Uh, here are the events that are left. The uh, Today they're playing the seven-card high-low split eight or better for 10K. That's one that I think is going to get like 200 or so, 200-something people. Event number 40, the heads up, no limit, hold them. That's going to have uh, probably between 100 and 200 people, 10K buy-in. The dealer's choice, uh, that is coming after that, but um, they may miss it either because of uh, making it deep in the heads up or even if they don't, it's going to have a pretty big field. I think it's going to have over 500 people. Uh, PLO, six-handed, 5K buy-in. That's going to have probably between 300 and 500. Limit Hold'em, 1,500 on Friday. If they're not still in the PLO, that's going to have probably over 500 people. I'll be in that one. The 50K Poker Players Championship is right after that, and that's probably going to have between 100 and 200. There's another one that we're going to have to watch out for. Eight-game mix, $1,500 buy-in, probably between 300 and 500 people. 10K limit hold'em between 100 and 200 people. I'll be in that one, event number 52. Event number 54, Pat Limit Omaha, high-low split eight or better, 3K buy-in, probably 300, 500 people in that one. Then the one drop. The one drop is going to be near the end, and it's going to be scary. Probably right now, 41 verified people are going to play, including Negranu. So they have another option too. They could play event 53, pay the 10,000, and be in the ladies' event if they want to. <laughs> I don't think they will, but yeah, they do have that option to pay the extra money for the ladies' event. That's right. Uh, the one drop will be, I think, the fourth to last event that we have to worry about. 
If we get past that one, then there's Omaha high, high low split eight or better for three thousand buy-in. Probably gonna have a lot of people though. Uh, seven card stud, ten thousand dollar buy-in. That one probably a hundred something. That one's one to watch out for. And then uh, pot limit Omaha ten k. I think it's still gonna have uh, three hundred or so people. So you know they they have. Four. It's a six and a ten game mix, but it's only fifteen hundred. But they still could play that, maybe. Yeah, but those are going to have a lot of people. They're going to be scrambling. I mean, they're going to play anything. If... Yeah, those are going to be a lot of people. Just like I'm not listing the listing the no limit hold'em events that uh, they could enter because it's just the ones that have huge fields. I'm kind of not worrying about, but really the five we have to worry about are those ones of one hundred to two hundred people and the uh, the one drop. So those are the big ones to worry about, and then the other ones that have fewer than 500 people, they they could hit one of those two if they run well. Kind of like how Negreanu got 10th uh, in this uh, stud event with 345 entrants. But so far, so good. I think we have about a 2-to-1 chance to win right now. So about double the chance right now of winning versus losing with uh, 36, 37 events out of 65 in the books and no bracelets yet for either of them. And Negreanu playing well, and Ivy apparently either not playing well or not running well. So that's what's going on there. Uh, Last story involving the World Series. I'm going to read you an account someone gave, a recreational player that is, on 2 Plus 2, about a poker pro named Maurice Hawkins. Maurice Hawkins was at a 5K No Limit Hold'em event, World Series event at the Rio. A guy who I believe is named David Matthews. He posted there as D underscore Matthews, and he identified himself as a winner of the Ultimate Blackjack Tour at one point. But he is a recreational poker player. He's not a poker pro. He admits he's a recreational player. Uh, He's a Seven Stars member at Caesars, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know if he got it like I did, where... He was kind of knitting it up at uh, video poker to get there, or if he is just a degenerate. But whatever it is, usually when there's a guy who's a seven stars player that is a rec player, you want him in your game because it means he has a lot of money to burn. It means he's a big gambler, and it means that uh, you know this is someone that you can win a lot of money from if he's not a known poker player. Probably isn't that good. So the 5K No Limit event at the Rio is a very tough one. I have a hard time explaining to people who don't know poker that well that the 5K No Limit Hold'em event is much tougher than the 10K main event. And people say, what? I thought the main event's the championship, and it's double the buy-in. Why would it be much easier than the 5K event? That doesn't make any sense. That's because everybody's playing the main event. Right. And plus there's tons of satellites in. There's lots of random people that just come there for the year. It's right around the 4th of July. Yeah, the 10K main event is a huge thing that attracts 6,000-something players, and a lot, of them are, yeah, a lot of them are amateurs. There's a lot of amateurs in that who just want to play it for the experience or because of the huge money for the first prize that they're dreaming about. The 5K No Limit is an event that is ignored by almost everyone but the pros. So it's a very tough event. But you do get some people like this David Matthews, who enter, who are not pro players and just entering it because they like to gamble. And for that reason, you don't want to drive those players away. You want to treat these players especially well. Now, I will say 
I treat everyone well at the poker table. And you can ask anyone who's played with me. I, I don't curse out the dealer. I, I don't yell fuck this and fuck that all day. Um, I don't berate players who beat me, even if they played badly. Um, the only time I get in some kind of confrontation is if someone starts with me. But I, I never start up with people or insult them or, or give them a hard time or, or criticize their play. I, I don't make frivolous calls of the clock on people. I just I, I try to be nice at the table. I don't let people take advantage of me, but uh, I, I try to be nice. And um, you really don't want to do this, especially to the recreational players, because if you give them a bad experience, they're not going to come back. They're there for fun. And if they're not having fun, they're not going to return. So this is David Matthews' report as to what happened at the 5K No Limit. I signed up for the 5K No Limit at the Rio today, and I draw a table with Maurice Hawkins, who I don't know, Maria Ho, who I don't know, and Melanie Wisner, who I don't know. Well, I know them all now. I guess they're really big deals, like I should care about how important and awesome they are or something. But anyway, Maria likes to raise pre-flop and bet every street, at least she did, every, she did today. By the way, that's uh, probably because Maria is a limit player. and uh, Limit players like to do that. I had pocket threes. The board came queen seven seven five two or something like that. I can't remember how the action went, but she bet eight fifty on the river. The pot had like fourteen hundred in it, and we each had about fourteen k behind very early in the event. I want to think about it. I don't like my hand. I'm I'm not certain she has anything. In fact, I think she might be betting because it's the only way she can win. Surely it doesn't seem like a lot of chips, being only 850, but every decision matters in a, turner, in a tournament, in my opinion. Now, this just shows you, by the way, the guy has pocket threes, and he's calling down a queen 7752 board when she's betting, going bet, 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 bet. So, I mean, this is who you want at your table. Uh, like a calling station like this. Yeah. A- anyway, uh, about eight seconds after she makes her bet, Maurice Hawkins rolls his eyes at me, indicating that it's such a small bet I should have auto-called or auto-folded, and then starts loudly singing the Final Jeopardy song. (laughs) Can you imagine you're at the table and some obnoxious guy there starts singing the the Jeopardy song when you're trying to decide what to do? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I I would be... uh, I'd be pissed off if I was the one trying to make the decision, even if it's not a huge decision, and, and someone's acting this way. It's just just an asshole thing to do here. So uh, anyway, uh, David's sitting here trying to decide what to do about this 850. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Maurice is doing this. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what Maurice should have done. He should have brought it up on his phone and just played this. You can find a 10-hour version of this on YouTube. I'm not even kidding. You can find a 10-hour version of this Jeopardy song. You could actually go to sleep to this song and wake up and it'll still be playing. I guess it just keeps looping every 30 seconds. That'd be kind of torturous to do to someone. Just put them in a room when they're really tired and blast this really loud and make them listen to this as they go to sleep and leave it on for 10 hours. I I can't even get through a minute of it. So uh, anyway, 
that's what Maurice is doing, and except he's singing it. And uh, so this makes it more difficult to think, he writes. On top of that, he says, call the clock. It's only 8.50. This is ridiculous. He's had one whole minute to think about it, and it's only 8.50. I decide to muck before the floor comes over, but I ask the floor to clarify the situation. I say, is it okay for him to sing the Jeopardy theme song when I'm trying to make my decision? <laughs> I mean, imagine being the floor man getting that question. Imagine you come over, you know, you, floor gets called over. Yeah, is it okay if this guy sings the Jeopardy song when I'm making my decision? <laughs> I bet there's no tournament rule about that one. I bet you won't find that in the Rio tournament handbook. So I, I didn't get this part. Was he in the hand? No, no, he wasn't. It was just so Maria. He shouldn't have been talking at all. Yeah, so like Maria's just going bet, 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 bet into this guy, and he's like calling down with pocket threes because he thinks Maria's full of crap. And then Maria bets 850 on the river. And he said, like, I hate the board, but, you know, it's Maria just betting the whole way and it's queen seven, seven, five, two. And like, you know, maybe she has ace king. Like he's sitting here thinking about this final 850. And uh, and then (laughs) and then Maurice uh, Hawkins there uh, starts up with. uh... So so then they get in the argument about it. So anyway, uh, so he asked if it's okay to sing the Jeopardy song. And is it okay to call the clock after only one minute? So the floor says that it should be two minutes before a floor is called. And also that in no uncertain way is singing the Jeopardy song acceptable when he's making a river decision. The floor (laughs) actually ruled on that one, too. So apparently, for those of you that are wondering who are going to play the World Series this year, do not sing the Jeopardy song when people are making decisions there in the hands. So... Yeah, I understand. Maybe he thinks it's eight fifty, but it is a decision, and every decision matters. Yeah. you know, and one minute's just not long enough. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and by the way, I've seen this before, where an amateur player is taking too long to act in a situation like this, and and I'm kind of getting annoyed too. Like, let's get on with it, but I don't ever say anything because, like, no, but if he, now if the guy's a constant tanker and he, this happens every single hand, then I could see it. Somebody saying something right. like, "Come on, man, can you please speed it up? Right. We all got money invested here too." Right, right, exactly. If there's someone who's disrupting the game with, with just ridiculous slowness every time he plays, say something. But uh, not not the first time it happens for a minute. So anyway, uh, Maurice tells me before the floor gets there, you know what, I don't give a damn. But when the floor gets there, he says, my fault, I shouldn't have said that. He did get a warning for the Jeopardy singing. <laughs> I bet it's the first warning ever issued at the Rio for Jeopardy singing. Prior to this event, he had dropped the F-bomb twice. I'm not worried about the F-bomb. Wouldn't have cared, but after this whole thing, he said it again, so I called the floor. The floor came over, gave him another warning for dropping the F-bomb, which the whole table had heard. So I guess these are separate warnings. I guess uh, one warning for Jeopardy and one for the F-bomb. That's two warnings. So we play for a while, and he gets in a three-way pot that I'm not involved in, and the early player position checks. He bets 3,100. Player behind him calls. Then early position goes all in for 11K. And uh, Maurice had 28K at that point. I wait for two whole minutes. Remember, he gave me only one Jeopardy music filled one minute earlier. And then I call the clock. So he does like a revenge clock call on Maurice here. And then Maurice says, you know what? You're a little bitch, don't you? Yeah, that's right. You're a little bitch. He's still on the hand of deciding what to do, but that's what he says to me. A person with a Boston cap then leads into me saying I didn't give him enough time, etc. 
I, I wonder if uh, that was China Maniac. This player had not been there for the earlier stuff. I told him that. Turns out he was close friends with Maurice, so it was all a sham. The floor gives both me and Maurice warnings. I'm thinking that's crazy. He got a warning for Jeopardy music. He got a warning for F-bomb, and he got a warning for calling me a little bitch. What did I do? I called the clock after two whole minutes on someone who called the clock on me after one minute where he was singing Jeopardy the whole time. So I'm the bad guy or something. Anyway, there's a click in poker. Maria Ho and Maurice obviously thought they were both superior to everyone else. They laughed and chided me and thought it was fine to break rules and etiquette because they're just that far superior to the peasants that troll these games like me. There were a few other people at the table that refused to say a word in the tournament, but on the break they told me I was right on everything I said. The floor seemed in the tank for Maurice, too. They came up smiling to the table, and Maurice greased them with hellos and smiles, too. Clearly, this was some click in tournament poker, and if you're not in it, you're not going to be treated well by the floor. So... This guy, obviously very frustrated. He thinks that there's favoritism for not just major players like Mike Mattis out and Phil Helmuth, but, but just anyone who's uh, uh, a semi-known tournament pro, that there's big favoritism for them, and that the floor will just abuse and needlessly punish everyone else while letting the uh, known pros get away with things. And uh, he definitely feels very negative about his whole experience there, and I don't blame him. Now, I I don't understand the hate for Maria Ho here. She, I mean, what did she do in this story other than bet into the guy? <laughs> like, I don't see what she did wrong here. He said she was laughing and chiding him, but he didn't really describe this. And unless it's something I'm missing, it's it sounded like from reading the rest of the thread that he more was angry at Maria for not speaking up, for like talking in a friendly manner with Maurice the rest of the time and not speaking up about this. But it's not her responsibility to speak up and get in the middle of these things. So unless she was getting involved and uh, you know, and, and joining into the fray here, I, I don't see why he's criticizing Maria Ho. But I, I totally agree with what he had to say about Maurice. And I, this is the type of abusive behavior that needs to stop in tournaments. This is what they should be giving penalties for. And someone who repeatedly does stuff like this, they need to say, look, this just needs to stop. You've got to stop this crap or you're going to get a penalty. Not warning this, warning that, warning this, warning that. I mean, it's stupid. Uh, when, you, when you call the clock on somebody, though, you're kind of opening the door for them to do it right back at you yeah. if you have a tough decision. And to me, I always I try to like to get, be respectful. But if there's somebody taking forever in a day, I can understand it. Some people asking, but it also comes off too. If you're if you're ever at a table, the same guy's calling the clock on like calls it multiple times. It almost tells you right there that that guy's impatient, and eventually he's just going to blow up anyway and give away his chips. Yeah, because I, he just doesn't have the patience to sit there. I can't remember the last time I called the clock, and I've endured some very long waits. I think the only time I've done it recently was when someone was stalling to make day two. And that's just a dumb thing. That's not making a decision. That's just stalling, and I didn't want that. But aside from that, um, and it was like an obvious stalling spot, like a pre-flop stall. But uh, other than that, as you said, I think it's a crappy thing to call the clock. Uh, and then, yes, you open the door. They're going to call it back on you, and you may regret doing that because you're going to want to make a decision. And I, I don't want to be petty like that and then be rewarded for my pettiness by having my decisions cut short. And uh, and I've had the clock called on me before when I've taken a long time, but uh, and I don't get pissed if I take a really long time, but um, if after a minute someone called it on me, I would be angry. Even after two minutes, I'd be angry. Two minutes isn't very long. No. So uh, 
so people on the two plus two thread were saying, hey, you know, you 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 shouldn't have done this. It was you know, you're inflaming the situation. You're being immature by calling it back on him. But hey, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander here. And uh, if Maurice really felt it was okay to call the clock after a minute and sing Jeopardy to this guy, he's got to understand it can be called back on him. So all I'm seeing here is a recreational player being driven off the table. And this nobody should be treated this way, but all I see here is that uh, this is a recreational player who was uh, mistreated. And then I see another report about Maurice Hawkins from the past. This is someone else in the thread named Jaychak. Jaychak posted, First and only experience with Maurice, Maurice Hawkins. Three tables left in a World Series of Poker 1500 event when the following happened. Eric Lindgren raises, I flat the hijack with pocket fours. Maurice flats the button. Flop is king-queen two all diamonds. Lindgren checks, I check, Maurice bets half the pot. Lindgren check raises all in, I fold. Maurice goes on an expletive-filled rant about his luck, bends his cards together high in the air, and then folds. Fifteen seconds of silence pass. Fucking idiot, goddamn fucking idiot, idiot, play cost me the pot, Maurice says in a bellowing voice. A lot of bellowing I'm reading about today. I thought to myself, wow, I can't believe he's cursing at Eric Lindgren like that. They must have some history. Fifteen more seconds of silence. Just had to get in pre-flop with that shit. Give him odds, just had to get in the way. At this point, Lindgren has raised pre-flop again, and just as with my own action, Maurice says, you going to flat his open again? Fuck us up again? Stay out of my pots. Apparently, the whole time he's been cursing me out for getting in his pot with Lindgren in the prior hand before he was even in the pot. So um, he's saying that that it was um, he wasn't understanding at first, but then he realized that all this cursing was at him for daring to play in a pot with him and Lindgren and then, quote, causing Lindgren to go all in. (laughs) I mean, that's just... This guy just sounds like a serial abuser at the table, and... uh... It's just... um, Like, I don't care if you're you're at a table with, like, six pros and a couple amateurs. You don't want to make any amateur or beginner feel uncomfortable. You want to let them have the most fun that they can possible at the table. It's important for the game, and it just irritates me when people do that. Yeah. Uh Yeah, so, um, and then 4Bet on our site posted, I've played poker with Maurice for about 8 to 10 years. He's the worst. Biggest cunt in South Florida. I can't stand this fucker, and we have had many words many, many times. He's such a big asshole. One day he was playing at the Shithole Kennel Club, and they barred him for arguing with a nice lady who was playing in our game. I have 30 stories about playing with his asshole over the years. So, I, you know, I see a pattern here, and uh, it's just... These are the players who need to be ejected. These are the ones who need to be warned and ejected if they're creating an unpleasant and unfriendly and hostile environment at the table. I mean, not everybody has to be nice. This isn't church, but it shouldn't be like this. People shouldn't be cursed for getting involved in a pot. People shouldn't be hearing the Jeopardy tune when they take a minute to think. This is just abusive crap, and it shouldn't be going on. So, uh, Someone asking in the chat... Is it standard to get three warnings and not still get a penalty? Exactly. Like, how is he getting three warnings and no penalty? It's just crazy. So, that uh, that's the report about Maurice Hawkins. And, uh, you know, the way he was describing Maria Ho, I've played with her a lot of times. I played with her at 400, 800, and 300, 600 in commerce back in the day. 
Uh, I played with her at various tournaments in the World Series. In fact, she... Uh, I had a very disappointing hand against her. It wasn't a bad beat. It was just very disappointing. The 2500 six max where I got off to a great start. And then uh, the second day I was kind of doing mediocre and then uh, getting close to the bubble and I had pocket Kings in a big pot and she seemed to be raising a lot. In fact, she five bet preflop. So I just check called all the way down with pocket Kings on an underboard check all flop, check all turn, check all river shows down aces. So cooler. And she ended up making like fifth in that event. And I did not cash. And we started the hand with about the same stack. So yeah, it's tournament poker for you. But anyway, you know, Maria is always pleasant with me. We, we've never been friends. Uh, I, I won't say that I, I love her or think she's a wonderful person, but she's always been pleasant. She's always been friendly. She says hi to me. Um, I don't really see her as like a really bitchy type. Uh, and to compare and contrast here, Liz Liu, back when she played a lot of poker, I really didn't like her from the start. And the way he's describing that Maria treated him uh, was definitely the way Liz treated me. The, my first bad encounter with Liz Liu was at Commerce when there was some, I, I forgot what it was, but there's some issue regarding the, the collection there that they take every half hour where uh, they said I owed it when I really didn't. I, I don't remember the story, but whatever it was um, when they wanted to collect it and I was objecting to it, Liz got really bitchy and started yelling at me that uh, it's just whatever dollars, just pay it and shut the fuck up. She says to me and, uh, and, and it says, uh, um, you know, she was, she just, got all over me about this, this with the collection. And then when I, I uh, uh, spoke to the floor man about it, I still hear her talking shit about me at the table. And I didn't do anything to cause this. And I, you know, I actually had a good argument. I don't remember what it was anymore because it was so long ago. It wasn't an important situation, but it wasn't an obvious, clear situation. It wasn't like everyone pays their collection half hour and I just randomly decided I don't want to pay it. It was like I had at least a good argument whether I was right or wrong. And, and I wasn't holding up the game. I was just asking the dealer to clarify something with it, saying I didn't think I should pay. He was maybe holding up the game 15 seconds. And boy, she got on my case. And every time I saw her after that, she just acted like a cunt to me. And uh, so that's why when I played in a tournament with her uh, shortly after that, and she pretty much bribed the uh, the guy, she got down heads up, and she bribed the other guy in the tournament who was a no-name to take the bigger payout but declare her as the winner so she could get the press that she won a tournament, that I, I broke that story. I broke the story that she basically bribed someone to award her first place. And she was that really funny. She was really pissed about that. And I said at the time when I broke this, I said, you know what? Well, also, I was in that tournament too. I was uh, at the final table of that tournament too. That's why I really took an interest in it. But I said the main reason I came out and did this Number one is the truth, and number you know number two is an interesting story. But number three, the reason I didn't keep it quiet and let you you know let you make your little deal that didn't really hurt anyone and and go out with the claim that you won the tournament is because you were such a bitch to me for no reason. You you mistreated me all these times, and then you did something you shouldn't have, and I knew about it, and I'm the one who exposed it. That's what happens when you mistreat people. So. She's not really much in poker anymore. I don't even think she plays. I mean, I don't even see her at the World Series. I, I hear about her every so often, but 
I don't, I, I don't know what she does these days. But anyway, Liz Lou, I, I never liked and thought was arrogant and thought was a bitch and, and uh, didn't treat me well for no reason. But Maria Ho, I've never seen that way. So it's kind of a little hard for me to believe that Maria was being a bitch to the guy. He might have uh, just thought her laughing was and, and joking around. He might have just took offense to it, even though I mean he's probably he's probably reading more into it than he should. But yeah, maybe she was like laughing at the Jeopardy stuff, which is kind of funny, even though it's wrong. So maybe that's like what was going on, and he took it at like like she's laughing at uh, how he, you know he's being mistreated when she was really just laughing how ridiculous the situation is. Uh, it just doesn't seem like it's in Maria's personality to do that. And uh, and again, I'm not saying she's a saint or a wonderful person. I uh, my my overall opinion of Maria, I would say, is neutral. But um, at the same time, I don't really see her doing something like that. Uh, as an interesting side note, uh, and this is a coincidence, uh, they actually did an interview with Maria, and this came up. They did it with her and Melanie Wisner just because they were at the same table and some reporter on Poker News thought that was interesting. So they did this this interview. And I'm going to play the part where they talk about this. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Oh. Good time to take a break. I should take a break, too. All right. Right now. Maria is super fun. She's never afraid to speak her mind. And uh, she's had my back. We've, we've, uh, <laughs> we've been uh, confronted with um, some issues relating to women and, and what women do or don't like. And so it's nice to have another person be able to chime in aside from, yeah, the lone woman at the table. Um, she's pretty fun. Like, she, I, our table's kind of been stressful. To- By the way, this is Maria talking. Before that was Melanie talking. Today, because two people were arguing the entire time for the first two levels, basically. So, you know, here and there we try to lighten it up, but, you know... Not not as, as, like, usually friendly and fun as it could be, I think. Into the camera, give me your best impersonation of Maria Ho's poker face. <laughs> oh, God. I know. You have to pull it together. Hold on. Hold on a second here. Uh, first of all, this is – I see this is taking place, this uh, interview. It looks like it's taking place in the Amazon room of the Rio. It's definitely at some sort of tournament room there. Why are we hearing – Gretchen Wilson blaring in the background. I can tell you from being there, they don't blare music in the background in these tournament rooms. Like, why are we hearing this? <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Uh, Melanie, intimidation factor according to Maria is a two. That's gotta hurt. Out of ten? Yeah. Or like two. <laughs> so she says two pointing to her breast, and then they make jokes about uh, Melanie's breast the remainder of the time. And uh, Maria basically concedes that Melanie has much bigger breasts than she does. <laughs> I think I believe that. I think actually that's exactly what that's going exactly on. What that's because Maria has only seen me at my most friendly and gregarious when I need to turn it on. Oh yeah, yeah. Give no, someone. She gets me. Give someone the. This face is scared me. Now Melanie says she saw you triple barrel. She doesn't know if you really had it or not. Something along these lines. Yes. Did you have it? Definitely didn't have it. Once he called it, my hand just flew towards the mug. So. so people thought she was talking about that one with the 850, but it turned out that that wasn't the hand. It was a different hand. This is the hand 
where the guy ended up folding the threes. Oh, no, not that one. Oh, a different hand where he folded the river. Oh no, I had it. I potted it. Had it. She says she had it, but that's what she has to say every time. And you're both super fun at the table, so that's good. And So anyway, um, if you heard earlier in this interview, Maria talked about two people at the table going at it. But notice she didn't say, like, oh, there was this one jerk at the table. Like, she wasn't taking sides. She just said, hey, there were two guys who were constantly arguing here. And that took away from the fun of the table, which I'm sure was true. So, like, that even shows more that... You know, she wasn't trying to single this guy out and take Maurice's side. So I, I, I think Maria probably was not at fault here. I think Maurice is the one who was at fault, and I think the floor handled this pretty poorly. And uh, that's what appears to be that situation. I see Melanie's wearing some patch here. I'm trying to read it. Laser vision something? Can you imagine, what would laser vision be uh, having to do with poker? I don't know. <laughs> Why would she be wearing a laser vision? But I, I think of laser vision like laser eye surgery. And I guess maybe get that so you can see the cards better, but that's kind of a weird patch to be wearing at the World Series. You know, I, I see this. Uh, it's always interesting to look at the World Series hallway of who gets these booths, which I, I have to imagine are pretty expensive. I've never inquired in getting one myself. But uh, someone asked me once, why don't you have a poker fraud alert booth there? where you broadcast live like Poker Road once did and other shows have done, why are you not broadcasting Poker Fraud Alert Radio live from the Rio hallway like other shows do? And the answer to that is because, well, Poker Road is gone and broke, and this site still exists, and that's because I don't pay for things like a booth at the World Series because you have to pay for these things. You can't just set up shop in the hallway there without paying for it. But anyway, uh, there's some investment firm or investment software, some kind of investment thing that has nothing to do with poker that's advertising there. And I I feel bad for them because, like, the the employees keep coming up to you and go, hey, do you want to try this software? Do you want to try this package? Do you want a backpack from us? And everyone's like, no, no, no. Like, no one's interested. So it just seems like in general these booths don't do well. I don't think they're paying for themselves. So... uh, I think most of the poker players there for the World Series just want to go there. They want to play. Uh, you know, people want to buy food and drink there. But as far as, like, booths, I, I don't think that those are going to do very well selling products. This is my guess, though. Maybe if you're one of the, like, top-tier player or something, endorsing something, it's possible. But uh, Well, like, I see I this three-bet clothing that's endorsed by a lot of different uh, – I think it's owned by a number of different – poker players like Greg Mueller and Brian Rast. And like they, they got a pretty impressive lineup of good players that are endorsing and wearing this three-bet clothing. But they have a big three-bet booth, and they, it doesn't seem to be getting that much interest. I, I just think that uh, – I don't think it's paying for itself. You just got to think of people probably be in a hurry, too. They're not really yeah. wanting to stop and look at that stuff. That, that's true, too. They, I've actually had that before where I'm thinking, well, you know, if I had like – 10 spare minutes here, I'd probably take a look at it, but uh, I don't want to. And then during the break, I don't have time. And then even uh, after the, like when the tournament's over, I just want to go back and leave. I I don't want to hang around anymore once I'm busted. So like, there's never really a time when I feel I want to go to these booths. And there's probably a lot of people who feel that way too. That's a good point. All right. So let's take a look at the chat room. If you want to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 
3-7-2-8-3-5-5. Someone in the chat room asking me, are you going to bring up Ari Engel's video rant? You know, I considered it, and then I said, well, I talked about Ari Engel last week. Do I really feel like bringing this up again? But the good thing about a video rant is that uh, I get to take a break. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's helped having a co-host here, so I don't have to talk nonstop, but, but still... And uh, Jay Stats asking Chad, how much for a World Series of Poker booth at the Rio? I don't know. I've never inquired about it because I, I know however much it is, it's too much for Poker Fraud Alert. Too much. We're a low-budget operation. Very, very low-budget. There's a This is a, a one-man company. It's me. And uh, I do everything here. I program it. I pay for the site. I do the radio show. I administer the forum. It's all me. Low budget operation, just a hobby. Uh, JSTAT says Matthews has an agenda. Don't know what it is, but I will keep my ear close to the pavement to hear what he's up to. I don't know. I don't think it was an agenda. I just think I just think he wasn't happy. I mean, we we heard from Maria Ho in that clip that there definitely was something going on there. So he wasn't making all this up. It was definitely a stressful table. So, um, I put a couple links to the topics in the radio thread and just at the end. Okay, I'll take a if look at those. Things, I, just, uh, I just saw them. I, I'm looking at the chat. Someone's asking about the Mark Hoke show. I've never heard the Mark Hoke show, but I've noticed the Mark Hoke show is actually on a real radio station in Las Vegas, like 12-something a.m. And I have to admit, I have to admit that uh, as much as I enjoy doing the show, and while this show actually gets more listeners uh, between live and in the archives than some very low-rated radio shows on AM. It really does. Uh, Despite that, I've always had this fantasy of being on the radio, like real terrestrial radio. Like, I've always thought it'd just be so cool to go into a radio studio and and broadcast over the air, even on a low-rated station. In fact, I almost had a show like that on a low-rated AM station in San Bernardino, California, a few years ago, but it fell through. Not from anything I did, but the partner I was going to do it with got in a fight with the station owner, and that was that. But uh, the Mark Hoke show, I don't know anything about that station, but it's actually on a Las Vegas station there. And Flipper Fair says in chat, how does Mark Hoke do it? He has no viewers. So he must have some sort of, uh, I don't know, internet broadcast too, and he's claiming there's nobody that uh, listens for it. And uh, JSTAT's saying he thinks he pays for the time on the station, which is KLAV, and that's possible too. Uh, There are a number of cheap AM stations like that where you actually pay for your airtime, and I wouldn't want to do that. I'd I'd only want to be on an AM station if they either put me on because they wanted me on or if somebody else paid for it. I would not pay myself partially because I'm a cheap Jew and partially just because I, I don't know, I kind of feel like a chump paying for my own airtime. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Flipper Fair says he's afraid to have an opinion, very milk toast. I've never listened to him. So I, I can't comment on Mark Hoke, just referring to what's said in the chat. Uh, let's see the texts I got. I got a number of texts. 
at 702-623-1423. God, that's an awful number. 702-623-1423 is the text phone number for this show. It's a crappy text phone number. I got to get a better phone number. It used to be the main phone number here, and then I had to get a separate text phone number, and it's a terrible number. Jeez. Uh, this from the 702 area code sent to me last week. If it's a Q&A session, please call. Highly speculative question regarding your response to a legit non-poker entity after a second limit bracelet and deep run in main event. What is he talking about? I have no idea what that talking, person's talking about. Great text here today at 528 a.m., not p.m., from the 404 area code in Georgia. Yo, Druff, what's the over-under on your ass cheeks? I'm trying to figure out what that means. I have no clue. Someone asking, can you start on time for once? I said no. From the 704 area code, in the old Roman days, the middle finger meant good luck. From the 661 area code, I think this actually came from Jamie. Uh, can I harass... Yeah, it is Jamie from Jamie from last week. Can I harass Annette Oberstadt at Barry Shulman about lock poker in my poker fraud alert hat, or will you take it away from me? I don't think I can take away any hats. I think once I've given you the hat, it's actually your property. I, I cannot confiscate a hat from anyone. But uh, yes, go ahead and harass anyone about lock poker if you see them. And he also said Ivy's chips are still being bagged by World Series of Poker staff. So I, I, that's right. Jamie played with Ivy. <laughs> I guess I guess Ivy's still getting his chips bagged by the staff. Next time I see that, if Ivy's at my table this year, I'm actually going to ask about that. I'm going to say, hey, can you bag mine too? <laughs> how, how do I get in on this? How, how do you bag my chips? How do I get in on the World Series of Poker chip bagging service? Is it extra money? Like, like I, I bet they'd probably do it for a tip, but maybe, maybe that's why. Like, Maybe he's tipping them, but I don't see anyone else getting their chips bagged. And I don't see him tipping anyone. I see Ivy getting up walking off and that's it and they bag his chips I, I just think he just does it I just think he, like he leaves because he's Phil Ivy and he knows they won't give him a penalty so anyway uh, let's get on to our other topics here whatever they may be now that we're finished with our World Series talk I'll take a look at uh, beer and poker's topics that he suggested as well Oh, yeah, these are good topics. Uh, the Palms Poker Room has closes. Uh, it has closes. The Palms Poker Room closed. Palms Poker Room was an embattled room. Uh, on this site, we had a story about the former Palms Poker Room manager who was accused at first of stealing from the uh, promotional money. It turned out that wasn't what was happening. He wasn't stealing, but uh, the money was being... Uh, uh, shall I say, uh, it was they were giving away way too much for what they were raking, and uh, it, it pretty much sunk the room. And and also the guy was uh, taking the promotional money and uh, playing yeah. with it. Which, Unsustainable business model. Yeah. yeah. He was also playing with the promotional money. So people were annoyed about that, that their, the promotional money, what happened, you know, it came from the jackpot. So it was like the jackpot money that they were taking, they were 
taking almost no rake and putting almost all the money towards the jackpot. So it was like a normal looking rake, but most of it would go towards the jackpot slash promotions and, and only a dollar to the casino, which is very unusual. And, uh, you know, the manager was doing all these weird things with it, including playing with that money himself and purposely losing to keep games going. So uh, there, there were some accusations about the guy that turned out that probably weren't true. But uh, a lot of people finished off with bad feelings about that manager and a lot of bad blood over there. Kind of wish I didn't get involved in the whole thing, honestly. And indirectly, that's what got me banned on 2 plus 2. But truthfully, Mason was just looking for an excuse to get rid of me. So if it wasn't that, it would be something else. But uh, uh, I, I guess uh, the Palms has finally just shut out their room, which has been a failure since it opened. It uh, cost a lot of money. It was a nice-looking room. Uh, it was opened by Cantor Gaming, and uh, and then Cantor Gaming ended their deal with the Palms shortly after that whole disaster with uh, the failed promotion where the casino had to cover $22,000 that was in the negative of uh, in that room. In fact... Uh, uspoker.com, which covered this story, actually linked to Poker Fraud Alert in the uh, in their story about the twenty-two thousand, the negative thing. But uh, on April first, the Palms took over, even though Canter Gaming was still operating the sports book at the Palms, and the new management there announced a three-dollar rake for all no-limit and pot-limit games. But then uh, there was no additional drop. So in terms of rake, it was a good place to play. Just $3 per hand, that was it. But it was not enough to keep the tables open. The room was still a failure, and it is gone. Where else have we lost poker rooms in Las Vegas? There is no more poker at the M. No more poker at the Riviera. No more poker at the stately El Cortez. No more poker at Sunset Station. And no more poker at Circus Circus, where, believe it or not, I have played before. I've actually played a Circus Circus. Don't ask. But uh, they closed those rooms as well. So we've had six poker room closures in 2014. I guess 2014 into 2013. It's a lot of poker rooms going down, but that's what happens. There's just too many poker rooms in Vegas for how many people who want to play. Uh, Ultimate Poker has an interesting... Promotion. I wish that uh, they had it in Nevada, but only in New Jersey. Ultimate Poker, who is lagging behind the others in New Jersey and Nevada. Uh, They have launched a new promotion that will give 100% of rake back to anyone at the green chip level and above. So... uh, Green chip is actually pretty easy to reach on Ultimate Poker. You just have to rake in $10 in a month. It's a promotion called Cash Game Crazy. And it's offered between now and July 31st. Kind of sounds like an ad I'm doing for them, but it's not. So uh, you really get 100% rake back uh, in the form of uh, Ultimate Dollars. I'm not sure how you use those, but uh, once every two weeks. And oh, they're tournament dollars that can be used at... Uh, Multi-table events and sit and go. So it's not real rake back. It's it's uh, money you get that you can use at uh, tournaments. But still, it's a hundred percent back. That's that's pretty impressive. And uh, apparently, this is working. 
that uh, they have a lot more traffic since they started this promotion. How much more? Well, this shows you what a big success Ultimate Poker is. According to Poker Scout, since they started this promotion on Monday, June 16th, yesterday, they hit a peak of 37. What do I mean by, th- what do I mean by 37? 37,000 players? No. 3,700 players? Mm-mm. No. A peak of uh, 37 players. <laughs> so they've gone from like super ghost town to ghost town with one resident pretty much I mean 37 37 players that's in New Jersey that's actually where they're doing better not ultimate poker though they're struggling in New Jersey no that's what I'm saying I'm saying that's uh, really? I'm saying that, like in Las Vegas they're even worse sometimes but I guess they're about as bad as you can get here, too. So it says here that it's more than double most nights in the past two weeks. So for two weeks prior to Monday, they, they were typically getting like 18 players on there at the peak. Wow. What a fail site. In Nevada, they're tanking big time, too, even during the World Series. Like, they've been a complete ghost town. And, uh, you know, I tried to help them. I offered to go work there. I, I had serious talks with them about working there. Um, the talks kind of... Uh, I guess I should say, like, like nothing bad happened. They didn't say, like, we, we don't want you to work here. I, I like It was never even decided I would or wouldn't work there. It just kind of, like, died out, and it has never happened. It was one of those things where it was just kind of being discussed, and then the discussion just kind of died. But... Um, I saw I saw problems. I saw that there were some major holes in what they were doing. They were doing some things right. They were doing, yeah, you know, they had much better support than WSOP.com, for example. Their support was pretty good. Uh, but they they just weren't doing some things right. And I, I just saw the dissatisfaction. I saw that they were probably going to get crushed once WSOP.com came online, and they did. And that was that. No more Ultimate Poker. They were first to market, but now they're they're pretty much gone. They, they've got, you know, they, their peak is 37 players in the bigger state, New Jersey. They actually get, their peak traffic, like yesterday, I'm looking, at, was 127 players in Nevada. So it's, it's still the second, well, obviously, WSOP is bigger. And then there's only two sites, though, really. Or there's, they actually, no, they, there's more now, isn't there? Didn't they just launch? Uh, yeah, there's some other sales site going, but I don't think it has any traffic. I haven't checked, to be honest, but, uh, you know, Ultimate Poker, uh, whenever I looked, and I looked earlier in the World Series, uh, and it was a complete ghost town. Because I, I had some off days, and I really wanted to play online, and I did play online on WSOP.com, but, I mean, I was looking, and it's just like zeros all the way down, and like a few micro-limit games going. So, uh, they're struggling, and when the World Series is over, they're going to struggle even more. And I, I had ideas. I had ideas on how they could improve things. And I, I really think that had they implemented some of these, I, I'm not saying that I would have been the magic bullet to make them huge, but I know what people want. I've been around online poker since 
February 2001, I've been following the industry very closely. I have a very good feel for what players want from a customer service and uh, promotional and game offering perspective. I, I, I like really know what the players want in online poker because I was one of them. I talked to them. I have a good feel for this sort of thing. And I'm not trying to brag here. Like, I'm not good at everything. There's, there's plenty of things I suck at. But this would be one thing I'd be very good at is uh, whipping one of these rooms into shape and, and doing what the players actually want and bringing traffic there. And by the way, this 100% rakeback thing is smart. Uh, you have to do that when you're at number two or worse yeah, than Yeah, and they're two. paying it back in tournament dollars, so that, then it's going to build their tournaments afterwards. And maybe people will see the tournaments uh, are getting a little bit bigger, so they'll play more. Yeah. So it, it could pay off, it, it, possibly. And, yeah, it could. And it may be a little too late, but, it, I mean, I had been saying the whole time, you have to do something that distinguishes you from the bigger competition or you're going to lose. You can't just be like them and hope to beat them because then you're not going to beat them. Then you're you're... People are going to say, why should I go to the debtor site when I go to WSOP.com and, or 888 and play over there? So, like, they weren't understanding that. They were pretty much doing what WSOP.com was doing. They had better support, but, uh, you know, it was not enough. So they have to do something that's going to bring people in, even if it's a loss leader, and get people used to being there. And they've got to just set themselves apart in some way that makes people say, oh, I want to play on this site. Not like, oh, well, these two sites are pretty similar, so I'll just go with the one that has more traffic. So, like, yeah. I'm, lo- I'm looking right now at that uh, WSOP.com, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hardly seeing anything. Like, okay, so I shouldn't say I'm hardly seeing anything. I'm seeing – I am seeing over 100 players on, but there's only one game – or two games. No, there's only one game that's, that's over fifty cent a dollar. Everything is fifty really? cent a dollar or lower, except for one wow. game. And no limit holdem whatsoever. It's it's all just it's all NL. No no limit. Limit holdem is dead. Zero limit holdem going of any kind. And just a bunch of micro limit games. When I say a bunch. Of like ten. I'm saying. And then there's that one two five game, and that's it. So I mean, this is. And this is during the World Series. So, yeah, I know there's some good people behind Ultimate Poker. Uh, the guy I talked to who worked there uh, was, uh, uh, he seemed pretty on the ball. Uh, Terrence Chan, of course, is a bright guy, and, you know, he knows what he's doing. So, like, I, I know they got that Scotty who used to work for Poker Stars working for them. So they have some good people just for some reason. Uh, they just weren't putting it all together and... Uh, coming up with something both promotionally and product-wise and feature-wise they needed to. just wasn't happening. Yeah, I just don't think people are traveling into Vegas to play online poker. They're not. During the World Series of Poker. There's a lot of other cash games going on. They may not be the best cash games in the world at this time, um, Some, you know, depending on what kind of games you're getting in, but they'd rather play live cash games yeah, when they bust it, out of tournaments. It just feels shitty. When you're traveling to Vegas and you're just spending the entire time in your hotel room other than when you're in a tournament. Like, it just feels crappy to spend most of your free time in a hotel room in Vegas. Like, like who wants that? So, people want to feel like they're going out and doing something. And even being, sitting at a poker table, at least you feel like you've gone out and done something. When you sit in your room, 
It just kind of feels weird. And I, I, I got that feeling. I didn't mind it, but I still kind of felt like, wow, this is just, it's just kind of weird. I'm just kind of sitting in, in a hotel room playing online poker all day. It's like one of those things you sit there do like later on in, at night, just play for a couple of hours before you went to bed or something in your hotel room if you didn't want to. You're just as you're winding down, but it doesn't seem like one of those things you're going to sit there for hours and hours during the day, play online poker yeah. in your hotel room. Yeah, you won't. So anyway, uh, 100% rake back that goes back toward your uh, tournament buy-ins. I actually have on com. I got a $215 tournament ticket for like Saturdays only. And I can't transfer it or anything, so it's just a pain in the ass. I, I think I can't even use it because, like, next Saturday I'll be playing a World Series event, it's, and I'm not going to bring my laptop down there even though I can. So, Yeah, it seems yeah. like if they were able, they can't do it, but if they were able to pass the law where they could, you could in Las Vegas, you know, in, in Nevada where you could uh, um, sports bet on their sites too and have a poker room attached, you would get a, the poker room would be booming a lot more idiots in there too. I mean, yeah. Too bad. I, like if, if if I really trusted someone, I would let them sit in my room and and play the tournament under you know, on it and like split it with them whatever they win. But then I have to trust them not to chunk off my bankroll too. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I can't just assign that to, to anyone. So anyway, um, uh, let's moving on to the uh, other things. Heads up, by the way, that uh, with Dutch. Oh, it's with uh, really. Let's yeah. He's heads up. Dutch is heads up. So what? Let's see. Uh, so Collegiano, who looked like he was going to uh, win at one point, is gone. Dutch Boyd with two point eight million, and Stephen Norton with two point two million. Well, I'll give them credit here at Poker News. At least since our last update, they have not added a million more chips to the table. This bust out is kind of a blow up. Uh, what was that? It kind of looks like a blow up. This bust out hand. You know, I, I I was kind of getting that feeling just from watching the chip counts, like that this Coligano, who I've never heard of before, that he was leading for so long, and then all of a sudden he's in third. And I, I just like, I just was kind of thinking, I should have said it, I would have looked like a genius. I was just kind of thinking, hmm, I wonder if he's going to like just chunk the rest off now because he lost his lead after having for so long. So let's take let's take a look here. Uh, it says. Dutch Boyd raised to 120,000 on the button. The blinds right now are 3060k. Stephen Norton folded the small blind. Paul Cogliano in the big blind moved all in and Boyd asked for a count. Wow, he said and called. And Dutch Boyd probably wasn't very happy having to call such a large pot uh 1.2 it was actually a, a 1.27 million chips for each of them, it looked like. It's a huge pot here. He has to call it off with ace-nine suited. So he called. And Cogliano flipped over seven-six of diamonds. 20 big blinds. I don't like it, really. No, I, mean, I don't either. It's just... You're playing for too much money. There are so much better spots yeah. you can find. Especially seven six of diamond. You really just want a hand that uh, it's going to have some kind of uh, some kind of value in uh, showdown without having to hit something. If you're going to do this with pocket threes or something, fine. Because at least uh, at least against any other any non parry or a slight favorite. But um, here, once you get called, you're just crushed. 
And what if, you know, at least he was up against Ace-9. Ace-9, at least, uh, uh, he has a little bit of a shot, but uh, because it's just two live cards. What if what if he's up against uh, an overpair? He's screwed. Look, looking at the way the board ran out, it's possible they would have got the money in anyways. Yeah, I know. The board came out uh, 9-8-3. So Cogliano had the open-ended uh, straight draw, and Boyd had top pair, top kicker. And, of course, they were already all in. So the turn queen... River Ace, and that was the end for Cogliano. So, Dutch Boyd getting kind of a gift there, even though he had to make a kind of a tough call there pre-flop with the Ace Nine suited. I hate Ace Nine, by the way, but uh, Dutch doesn't hate it. He got uh, a lot of chips from that, and uh, he and the other player are uh, what's his name here, Stephen Norden, who I've also never heard of. Our heads up for the bracelet. So maybe Dutch is going to win his third bracelet while we're on the show. And no, he's Mace... guaranteed one hundred or one hundred seventy-eight thousand yep. right now. So I wonder how much makeup he's in. <laughs> so uh, okay, let's let's go on to the uh, you know uh, let me play the Ari Angle thing. What the hell? Give us a break here. Don't have much else to talk about tonight. Uh, let's talk about the Ari Engel rant about various things that happened at the World Series. Yeah, you did forget, I think, one topic here. Yeah, no, I think I have one more left, do I? Let's yeah. See. What do I have left? The lawsuit, the, the New Jersey. Oh, the scenario. New Jersey lawsuit. All right, I'll play Ari Engel anyway. Hey everyone, this is Ari Engel coming to you with my first video rant. Today is Friday, June the 13th, and I would like to talk about a couple of issues related to the poker industry. Uh, The first issue that I have is the day lengths of World Series events and to an even larger extent the other tournaments being run by the World Series. So for example, every day there's a huge field $235 tournament Uh, otherwise known as the Rio Daily. And uh, it's a great value tournament, starts at 3 p.m., but they've scheduled it as a one-day tournament. So uh, I know my friend Nachman Berlin won the first one, and that ended at like 5.30 or 6, and that was the first one. That's, you know, one of the smaller ones. And uh, I've been reading in the forums, and as the series has been progressing, uh, the end times have been going later and later. So, you know, some of them have been ending as late as 8 or 9 a.m. I think that's just ridiculous for a 3 p.m. tournament to run till 9 a.m. I understand they're not bracelet events. I understand they're not the most prestigious events in the world. However, why should the low buying players have to suffer through such a ridiculous day and play for what is life-changing money? Fifty or $60,000 to first is just a ton of money. And uh, playing for that kind of money on no sleep, when, when people, I mean... I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever gone or been deep in that tournament, but I've seen, you know, with two, three tables left, no one is awake. No one is concentrating fully. Everyone is at a suboptimal game. And, yeah, you can say that, okay, therefore it's an advantage for some people that can last longer. I just don't think that's a good idea. I don't see the reason. I don't see the rush. What is the rush with this? Why can they not end at 4 or 5 a.m.? Why, why, what's wrong with a 14-hour day? I just think it's way too much asking 18-hour days from people. We don't ask it of the high-stakes pros. We shouldn't ask it of the low-stakes players. 
same thing goes. World Series is running a series at uh, Planet Hollywood, or at least Harris is running a series there. And uh, they have the same story, where uh, they have a great value, great value tournament. You know, a lot of the lower buy-ins, 200s, 300s, 500s, etc. And um, they just, they just, the same thing. They schedule it for a one-day tournament. So you have tournaments starting at 11 a.m., finishing at five, six, seven, eight in the morning. I mean, it's just, it, it's just crazy. And uh, I think that a large number of the people that register for these tournaments don't look at the full structures, don't really know what they're getting into. And if they didn't know what they would get into, they would just they would choose not to play those kind of tournaments because no one wants to play from 11 a.m. till 8 a.m. the next day, except for a few hardcore degenerates. Uh, so I I would I would ask and beg and suggest that World Series change uh, and that Harris and the World Series change their plans and uh, these one-day tournaments are great. Everyone loves fast structured tournaments. We're not trying to chainsaw this up. Keep the fast structures. Just have an end time. If a tournament starts at 11 a.m., it shouldn't go past 2 a.m. If a tournament starts at 3 p.m., it shouldn't go past 5, 5 in the morning. So, uh... I wish they would just have an end time. Obviously, if everyone agrees at that time, they can continue playing. But uh, to force everyone to play is just uh, just seems completely ridiculous to me. Uh, same thing goes even in the even in the bracelet events. I personally, I think uh, two a.m. You know, and, and they've done actually a much better job this year about uh, limiting it to ten levels. And I think that's I think that's a great, great thing about limiting a tournament uh, to 10 levels a day or at least uh, 10 hours of play. Um, but I just wish they would extend that same philosophy to the lower buy-in tournaments. Um, speaking of the, the big field 1K and 1500s, um, you know, I... Yeah, before we get to the rest of this, I don't want to overdo, overdo this here. Um, a, few, a few notes before we discuss what he's saying. You can't see this since it's on the radio, but he picked such an odd setting. Now, um, Beer and Poker, have you seen the video before? No, I can't hear anything either. So oh, you can't. Oh, I'm, you're, just I'm on my own. you're on your own on this one. Oh, I, have, I, <laughs> I forgot you can't hear it. Okay, I, I won't ask you. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot you can't. I, I wonder why it does that. Like sometimes you can hear, sometimes you can't. Uh, anyway, um, in this video, Ari is. You'd, you'd picture like he's sitting in his room w- with a camera on him. No. He's outdoors sitting in front of his open window by a bush and, and like in front of the stucco of his home. It's a really weird setting. It's like, it's like he went to the side yard of his home uh, where a window's open and said, yeah, I'm going to film right here. It looks like he's about to like climb into that window. Looks like he's about to break into that house or something. So it's just kind of a weird setting. I know it's his house, but it's just kind of a very like what made him do it right there. Why do it in front of your house with an open window? Why not in your house? Especially in the Las Vegas heat. But anyway, uh, he does say the word tournament a little bit too much, especially that kind of odd accent he has. I think he's on the East Coast or something. Uh, but anyway, uh, he, he raises some good points here, though. Uh, I don't play those smaller events, but I understand what he's saying, that when people are entering these tournaments, they don't really look at the structure sheet. They just go, oh, cool, you know, $200 buy-in tournament. You know, I can't afford the 1Ks, the 1500s of the World Series. I want to play one of these. 
then you run deep and you notice that these things have to end in one day. And you end up playing like 18 hours straight. And he's saying by the time people get to the end, they're exhausted. And it's just a matter of who who's going to fall asleep at the table first. So I understand it. I understand why Ari is unhappy with this. But I can tell you, Ari, why this is happening. It's happening, uh, at least the ones that are at the Rio, they're happening because they don't want to take up room during the prime hours, which is any time after 12 p.m. So they don't want to do restarts on these. They want to run these overnight and in the early morning when nothing else is going. I don't know why they're doing the same over at uh, Planet Hollywood where the World Series is not going. Uh, but basically, I think they just want to you know, get them over as quickly as they can without the bagging and unbagging thing. And I think they don't give a crap about the players. It's about money like everything else is with this company. Yeah, it is about money. It's well, it's about like they want to give somebody a decent structure because that's what the players complain. So that's what they want. Yet they don't want to make it a, a two day event or anything because of if they want to push out as many as possible and get that rake. Yeah. Now he's going to talk about the one Ks and fifteen hundreds. It's it's kind of a, a constant thing that I uh, that I think the philosophy of Harris in the World Series is to get these tournaments over as quick as possible, and I don't think that the players want that. Um, they, they try and cram in 11 levels into the first day of these big field tournaments. Completely unnecessary. Just keep it at 10 levels. They try, they, they're trying to end the tournaments quickly, and I just don't understand why. If for some reason they think that it's absolutely necessary to have day three be the final table and only nine, nine players come back, why? Let, let there be 18 players. Let the people actually play, have some rest, have, an, have normal days, you know? Uh, what exactly is the rush to get these tournaments over with? Um, and, I, and I'm hoping that uh, going forward, the schedules are going to change. And I think uh, the one thing that we do have going, us lower stakes players, is that finally we're going to get some of the higher stakes players on board. Because the World Series scheduled uh, these 4 p.m. tournaments. Uh, this year, last year, they were 5 p.m. tournaments. And um, this year, they've been moved to 4 p.m. tournaments. They've been changed, so there's no dinner break. And I believe that they go till 4 a.m. in the morning. And uh, I think that's very unpopular, as uh, Brett Ritchie said, for all of us that don't have our own chefs and don't have our own RV out in the parking lot. So uh, I know Beer and Poker can't hear this, but basically he's complaining that this year uh, these 4 p.m. tournaments, uh, they play more levels and they have no dinner break. So uh, if you want to eat, you're kind of out of luck you, unless you get that All-American Dave's to deliver to you to your seat. Uh, you're, you're really out of luck for the most part. You just don't have time to eat in these short breaks, and you're playing all the way from 4 p.m. till uh, about 4 a.m. in these uh, af- late afternoon events, and people are unhappy about it. Uh, he's also saying that the 1500s and $1,000 buy-in events, uh, that the that what they seem to want to do is just get as many people out as quickly as possible and end these as quickly as possible. You want to hear something really ridiculous, is that in these 1K buy-in events... You can actually buy in late up until the end of level six. Now, people drop like flies out of this so quickly that in one of these 1K events, a guy tweeted, and I know he's telling the truth. This is a guy who doesn't BS about this sort of thing. He tweeted that he was buying in late to the 1K and 
I think it was Jonathan Aguiar actually who tweeted that. But anyway, he was buying in late to the 1K and 70% of the field was already gone. Wow. 70% of the field was gone and he was buying in. Now, yes, he was at a big disadvantage because he was coming in with 3K uh, when the average stack was, uh, you know, well over 9K. So, yes, he had some doubling up to do, but but still, I mean, how far are they going to take this? They're going to let's start letting people buy in uh, when it's 85% gone and you just survive to the money? Like, it's crazy. At some point, you have to say it's too late. And, again, that's all for money. Yeah, that's a little too long. Yeah, especially these events where people are falling off so quickly. If they want to do it for these limit events, like the 10K limit, I could see allowing that six hours later. But uh, not these thousand dollar no limit events to start with three thousand chips so uh that that's what ari is saying basically uh they made some unpopular changes here and he's hoping that the higher limit players will then influence what happens to these uh lower limit tournaments um so yeah i think uh i think it was a snob no, at Daniel on, and uh, his, uh, uh, his influence on the scale what was that so I'm gonna send you a link on Skype. This is probably something near and dear to your heart, so Okay. <laughs> but uh probably worth mentioning. Okay. Schedule and people like him. I think I've, I think the schedule is way too oriented towards these people going you know, chasing bracelets and not really uh you know, and, and Daniel Granu has said straight up that these noon events, these big field one Ks and fifteen hundreds just have no interest to him. And not only that, he's actually uh He's actually said that there should be less of them and that in his days, people had a satellite in to a uh, World Series event. And he thinks that's a good idea that people should not be – that the World Series should uh, kind of be limited to higher stakes players is, is the implication of his suggestions. And I, I think that's a horrible thing for the poker industry. I think we should be trying to get as many people as we can into these World Series events. If anything, we should be having more 1Ks and less 10Ks. I mean – for real, like these 10Ks get what? 100 people, 150 people. I, who, who are they for? What? So, 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 Helmuth and Negreanu can pad their stats. I mean, there, there's just no interest in them. You know, you you have all the best players in Vegas, and you can barely scounder up. You can't even scounder up 200 people for these tournaments. In the meantime, our 1Ks and 1500s are through the roof. What, what we need, if anything, is every day there should be a great no limit. 1K or 1,500, close to every day of the series. I know. So, so he's saying here that uh, he he thinks that Negreanu, he claims Negreanu has been claiming that they should cut down on the number of 1K and 1,500 events, and instead, uh, you know, he thinks that's a terrible suggestion. He thinks they should add more, and every day there should be a, a good no-limit event that a lot of amateurs can enter. Uh, I think the problem with this is uh, – these aren't great events, these 1,500 and, and 1K events. You don't start with that many chips. And uh, there's really a lot of luck involved in these things. And especially the 1Ks with the 3,000 in chips. So, and, and yet they, they get such a large number of people, they do have to keep the chip numbers this low so people go out. Otherwise, the events will last too long and they won't have room. So... I think Ari is proposing something which sounds good in theory, but I, I don't think it would work in practice. There are a lot of them, but there should be yeah. more of them. That's what the people want. That's what that's what almost all poker players play. Why are we not catering to what all poker players play? Why are we catering to this elite group? Um, now, that's not – I don't mind having those 10Ks too, but uh, 
don't 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 come telling me that you're going to get rid of the one Ks and fifteen hundreds. All I'm saying is that before those should be getting rid of, or or, or not only that, there should be a preference to adding more one Ks and fifteen hundreds um, before the ten Ks players get their tournaments. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is um, some of you that follow my Twitter might have read that I had a little uh, run-in with uh, the owner of Card Player, Barry Shulman. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Card Player has been uh, has been uh, taking lock money to run advertisements on their site. Um, you know, big banner advertisements all over their site for uh, Lock Poker. In the meantime, though, Lock Poker. And this has been going on for a long time, and Card Player has been well aware of this. Uh, Lock po- Poker has not been paying out their players. Hello? You know, there's uh, there's countless nights. Yeah, Beer Poker, you're back on. I guess you still can't okay. hear it? Okay. I, I tried to reconnect him to see if maybe he can hear uh, what I'm playing. I, I hate having him kind of shut out here. He's kind of just sitting here. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll let him finish with this uh, Lock Poker thing, then we'll stop Ari. Don't keep up with the thread on 2 plus 2, but there's countless players that have been going over 12 months, that haven't gotten paid, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not over a million at this stage. Um, so uh, basically everyone in the poker industry knew that Lock Poker was not fulfilling their obligations. Um, lock Poker money is, you know, has been going for less than 30 cents on the dollar for the longest of times. I believe now it's under 10 cents on the dollar. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, the poker, a lot of the people in the poker community that have been paying attention to this issue, including myself, have been disappointed with the fact that Lock Poker continued to run advertisements on their site for months and months after it became completely apparent then that Lock Poker wasn't living up to uh, what they're supposed to do as a poker site, which is they need to pay out their players. Uh, Barry Shulman told me some sort of mumbo-jumbo about how he was worried about lock, that Lock Poker would sue card player. I, that, that's so ridiculous of a statement to be worried about them suing. I mean, if I have, and if I have to endorse a poker site, and I'm card player, and they don't pay out their players, and they're not fulfilling their obligation, I'm not a lawyer, but that, that seems that seems to me that, that that your obligation to advertise for the site is done with. Firstly, second of all, Lock Poker is a site that is, uh, you know. You could say it's legal technically, but it's right at the right at the side of the law, and uh, you know, there there's there's close to no chance that they're coming in America and uh, and and putting out lawsuits um, that again they have no chance of winning because they're not even paying their players. Who why why do you have to endorse a site that doesn't pay out their players? Clearly, Log Poker did not live up to their end of the bargain. So. Having said this, um, Barry Shulman refuses to do any interviews with anyone. He hasn't issued any statements except for maybe on his own site, which uh, a lot of us don't like to go to too much anymore uh, because of all uh, these log poker ad- advertisements, which, yes, I believe right now they have been taken down finally after a long, long time. Uh, but again, no apologies, no, no statements. And so, yeah, so I went up to Barry Shulman. He was at my table, and I gave him peace of my mind. And I said, look, there are you basically, you got people to deposit money into this sinkhole where they had no chance of getting their money out. Uh, Lock Poker has not been paying out their players. The money is worth 20 cents in the dollar. So basically, anyone that deposited through your site, if they put in a dollar, immediately it became worth 20 cents. That That is not acceptable. And if you're going to do that, and if you're going to accept Lock Bunny, 
to run advertisements on this on your site, the least you should expect is for po- poker players to voice uh, their mind to you and to let you know that this is not something that we approve of and we're not happy. You know, obviously, I didn't threaten him with anything. Um, you know, not, not, nothing of the sort. Um, and I think that's a, an important thing that uh, if you're going to have someone who basically uh, spits at the poker industry, uh, spits at their face and says, uh, I'm going to take mo- personal money, I'm going to take money to run advertisements for Lock Poker, which when they don't pay out their players, uh, the least you can expect is uh, a little bit of uh, a mouthing off at the World Series. Um which is what I did, and um, I was very quickly given a warning that I had to uh, stop that. Which I'm, uh, you know, I've heard both sides. You know, uh, Chris Triber says uh, that it's in, in, an inappropriate time to uh, to confront Barry. You shouldn't be doing that at the table. My response is there is no other time to do it. Um, and uh, and my other response is look. If I see Barry Shulman at a restaurant, I'm probably not going to go up to him and start badgering. But if he's going to come to our house, to Poker Player's house, to the World Series of Poker, right after he's been accepting money and and screwing over poker players and getting... And, and the worst is it's the most vulnerable of vulnerable. Because players like me that are in tune with the industry, they would never deposit on lock. The players that were depositing on lock were people that we're not paying close attention to. So basically, he... Uh, you know the worst kind of thing where you where you screw over the vulnerable people of the poker industry. Yeah. So uh, this is all stuff I've said before about Locke and um, yeah Barry Shulman and and uh, Jeff Shulman to be taking the Locke ads for almost a year, maybe even over a year since they knew what was going on. I told Jeff Shulman personally in May of 2013 what was going on there in detail. So they can't claim they didn't know. They can't uh, plead ignorance. And I'm sure they knew way before that. So uh, props to Ari for calling him out. He's absolutely right about everything he's saying. And, yeah, if if any scammers or people who are assisting scammers, like what Barry was doing, show up to the table, of course they deserve to get badgered. They shouldn't be able to play in peace then. That's exactly the right place to bring it up. So, good for Ari. So, uh, okay, so back to a portion of the show that uh, Beer and Poker can actually hear. And I yeah, apologize. I, hear <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. It, it, I don't know why sometimes it goes through and sometimes it doesn't. It's, it's so weird to the sound effects. So, yeah, anything, any sound effects I'm playing or videos I'm playing, he cannot hear. But I think that was the last one. Uh, so, th- those are our additional topics of the day that were added on to the uh, the agenda not on the official agenda. But uh, going back to the official agenda, I want to talk about um, the New Jersey casino lawsuit. That's our second to last topic tonight. I sent you one, too, on Skype. Oh, that's right. You know, before we get to the New Jersey, let me talk about what you just sent me on Skype. Uh, Ultimate Beat, the documentary by Scott Bell that I appeared in, it was met with mixed reviews when it was first released. Everyone applauded Scott Bell for having a lot of material and uh, covering a lot about the UB scandal that wasn't known by most of the public. 
but uh, a lot of people complained that it wasn't clear if you weren't already familiar with the story. I didn't notice as much personally because I was familiar with the story, so it was a little harder for me to watch. I tried to watch it with the... Uh, almost like looking at it from the point of view of someone who didn't know, but it's hard when I already do know. But I can understand the criticism that it was a little bit hard to follow, especially for someone who is uh, uh, not familiar all that much with the story. So... Scott Bale, instead of lashing out at these people and saying, you don't know what you're talking about, he actually took the criticism in stride and said that he would maybe re-edit it and re-release it with uh, you know some changes that make it uh, easier to watch. So apparently that's what he's done. And here's a little trailer for the new version. It's only a minute, don't worry, of the new version of Ultimate Beat. And I look forward to seeing that. When I called Ross Anderson on the phone and said, That's my man, I know I'm getting cheated. Something's wrong. Smash my laptop and Brad I have to go get a new one and re-smash that laptop. And he took it off from me. found myself in just such a dark, dark place that, you know what, I was getting very close to jumping. The damage to something like this is, I think, pretty limitless, really. Ultimate beat. Too much to lose. I guess I don't appear in the trailer, but that's fine. See the re-release on June 25th. So I look forward to that. It uh, um, it came out. Uh, I don't even remember when it came out anymore. But uh, anyway, it came out a number of months ago, and uh, the new version is almost the same length, tiny bit shorter. Uh, the key differences, uh, I think. I think Steve Ruddick actually wrote this article, Steve O on our site. But he said the key difference is he noticed there were several new interview segments. Uh, certain elements of the po- of the plot were fleshed out further, and secondary storylines uh, were dropped. And the production quality uh, has been improved. So uh, Steve Ruddock thinks it's better, and probably is. So we'll see that when it comes out. Uh, the New Jersey story. This is not about poker, but it's interesting. It's about gambling. I actually laughed at this whole situation when it happened, and I thought the players were going to easily be victorious. This is what was uh, reported on August 20th, 2012. So it's been a while since we talked about that on this show. A group of 14 people were huddled around a a mini Baccarat table in Atlantic City's Golden Nugget Casino in August, that's 2012, when something strange started to happen. The same sequence of cards was dealt twice, then a third time, then a fourth, and so on. Gamblers aren't dumb. They upped their bets from the minimum $10 and kept upping it as the same card sequence kept coming and coming. By the end, after 41 consecutive winning hands, (laughs) the gamblers were up a total of $1.5 million and casino security was convinced they were witnessing a heist. Can you imagine 41 hands before they take a look at what's going on here? 
the winners were questioned in one Brooklyn man's case. He was woken up in the middle of the night, physically restrained by security, and held in his room without food or water for eight hours while his belongings were searched. Wow. I don't understand what... How could it take eight hours to search his belongings in a hotel room? They found nothing and had to let him go. The casino shortly found out what had happened, and it was much less sinister, even if more unbelievable. They had recently purchased a shipment of playing cards from a Missouri manufacturer who was supposed to send the cards thoroughly shuffled. The shipment was defective, the cards were completely unshuffled, and the Golden Nugget had put them into play without checking them. The Golden Nugget is suing the card manufacturer, but they're also suing the gamblers, claiming they shouldn't have had to pay out their winnings. Says Benjamin Dash, the, law- the lawyer representing the gamblers. The Golden Nugget appealed to the gamblers to come in and play games licensed and sanctioned by the state of New Jersey, he said. My clients did exactly that and then were denied their winnings. There's absolutely no law in New Jersey that would permit the Golden Nugget to declare the game illegal because it failed to provide shuffled cards. But in a lawsuit filed against the 14 gamblers in July, that's exactly what the casino seeks, citing state gambling regulations requiring all casino games to offer fair odds to both sides. Believe it or not, this isn't the first time an Atlantic City casino has failed to shuffle its cards. In December, a dealer at the Trump Taj Mahal failed to turn on the shuffling machine and played for 3.5 hours with unshuffled cards. In that case, the casino was fined and nine employees were fired, but there was no attempt to withhold the gamblers' winnings. It's probably because uh, even with the unshuffled cards, it's kind of hard to take advantage of uh, when it's not the same sequence over and over. But then the Golden Nugget was in Atlantic City's lowest revenue casino in 2011 for no reason. So I, it, I thought this was ridiculous. That would be like me playing poker, failing to protect my cards, and then suing the people who beat me when they saw me flash my cards to them. 41 hands is a lot of hands. That's, that's <laughs> obscene. How could they miss this for 41 hands? I mean, it's their fault. It's their fault. They, they used cards that were not shuffled. They were the ones responsible to check on that. It's not, their, it's not the player's fault that, they, that the cards were not shuffled and that the casino didn't notice they weren't shuffled for 41 hands. The player is allowed to use whatever strategy they want, especially in New Jersey, where it's not against... To, uh, it's not against the law or, or even casino rules, the casino cannot make any kind of rule against uh, advantage play, provided it's not cheating. So once it was determined that the players hadn't cheated, not only should they have uh, not gotten any kind of trouble or been searched or detained, but they, they should have been paid out immediately. So I was sure that uh, the Golden Nugget was going to lose this one. Well, apparently, uh, the Golden Nugget realized that uh, they were not going to win this lawsuit because in September of 2012, September 1st, the Golden Nuggets said, okay, we'll pay. So why am I talking about this now, almost two years later? Uh, As I said, in September, on September 1st, uh, uh, the hours after a judge ordered the Golden Nugget Atlantic City Casino to let gamblers cash in nearly one million of chips because they weren't allowing them to cash the chips, they won in a card game where the decks were unshuffled. The casino's owner overruled his lawyers Friday and agreed to make the payments. So uh, the owner of the Golden Nugget actually said, you know what, even though my lawyers are still telling me not to settle, uh, screw it. Uh, we're going to pay. So it looked like a happy ending. So why am I talking about it now? Well, what is the undoing of many gamblers aside from addiction 
Well, it's related to addiction. It's greed. It's greed. How many times have you been gambling in some way, whether it's pit games or sports betting or poker? You're gambling in some way and doing well. You've won an amount of money you'd be very happy with. But you want more. Quitting yeah. up, but you want more. You're like, yeah, I've won 4000 but imagine if I win 10000 tonight. That would be awesome. But that's what the casinos want as well. They want you to lose more. So. Right, right. So <laughs> they're so, good. Just agree. So you keep playing, and if the odds are against you, then you usually lose. And uh, even in poker, where the odds aren't necessarily against you, sometimes just luck turns the other way, and uh, there goes your profits, and you wish you would quit when you would consider quitting in the first place. Well, greed got these players as well. They decided that with the casino showing weakness so quickly. They were going to re-raise, basically. They were going to sue the casino for the illegal detention that uh, they they so this this is the article that just came out. An Atlantic casino, an Atlantic City casino, does not have to pay the 1.5 million won by a group of gamblers who realized the cards had not been shuffled and can move to recover more than $500,000 had already paid. So they're going to go after go after these players who already got paid as well. Uh, Superior Court Judge James Isman ruled that because the cards had been unshuffled, that made the game of Mickey Mini Baccarat in April 2012 illegal under state casino rules. We were 100% vindicated by Judge Isman's ruling, the Golden Nugget said in a statement. A lawyer for several of the defendants declined to comment. 14 players racked up $1.5 million in winnings over 41 straight hands when they realized the cards were coming out in a specific pattern. Many of them quickly upped their bets from $10 a hand to 5000 The problem was that uh, a Kansas City card player, a playing card manufacturer that sold decks of cards guaranteed to be pre-shuffled did not do so. The company, Gemico, which... Uh, pretty big card company, actually, admitted in court it had erred in providing cards to the casino. A Golden Nugget lawyer said a confidentiality agreement it had reached with the card company prevented him from commenting on the lawsuit's disposition. So they uh, they may have settled or something, but uh, they must have. So they, it looks like the casino made money off that, too, off the card company. The casino sued the 14 gamblers for return of the money paid out and seeking to be absolved of having to redeem the outstanding chips. The players countersued, alleging, among other things, the casino illegally detained them. The illegally detention, the illegal detention claim remains pending. A preliminary court ruling two years ago went against the casino, which said it would appeal. But hours later, owner Tillman Fertitta said, uh, overruled, overruled his lawyers and said the casino would pay the remainder. That deal fell apart later when some of the gamblers refused to dismiss their claims against the Golden Nugget. Remarkably, and despite this generous proposal, the gamblers and their lawyers steadfastly refused and selfishly wanted to prove damages more than just the gambling winnings, the casino said in a statement. Instead of walking away with over $1.5 million in winnings, the gamblers now must return all their gambling chips to the Golden Nugget. There are obvious lessons to be learned here by all sides as a re- result of this incident. Unfortunately for the gamblers, it cost them over $1.5 million. That's kind of gloating, that statement, but that was the statement from the casino. Uh, so basically, the players had an offer right after that preliminary ruling that went against the casino okay, fine, we'll pay you, just drop your suits against us. And the players said, F you, you illegally detained us, now we're suing you for that too. So I guess the players thought this was a free roll because the preliminary ruling was already in their favor. But guess what? It wasn't. So now they have nothing. 
if I was in their spot, I would be pissed. And I, I actually believe the right ruling here would be to make the casino pay and fine them and, and give them, uh, you know, players damages for being illegally detained. But not that many damages, like not that much in damages. Like how much more are you going to give them? They they, right. they weren't damaged that badly. I mean, yeah, you're held for eight hours, and you know it's it's traumatic and it's uh, unpleasant, and especially they wouldn't let the guy have food or water, which may be an exaggeration, but whatever. Um, yeah, what's that worth? You know, Ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. What what is that compared to what they won here? Even though one point five million is split up between fourteen people, uh, still that's like averaging over a hundred thousand each. Why not just take that and say, wow, we got away with it. The casino screwed up. We took advantage. We won the money. They tried to deny it. Now they're backing down to give us the money. I, I would drop it. I'd say, all right, I'm happy with this. But they got too greedy. Just, just took the money because, I mean, if they're willing to settle for it, why not? You know. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Like, Like, why... Why drag this out? Why? I mean, yeah, they were right, but but sometimes you got to say, "All right, we got what we wanted. We got most of what we wanted. They're paying us now. They look stupid. This is a PR nightmare against them. All we have to do is drop the suit for additional money here. Fine." So, I think they got screwed, but at the same time, they were too greedy. So, lesson learned indeed. Finally, my editorial for the evening before I shut down the show and uh, start getting mentally prepared for my return to the World Series for the first time in uh, a few weeks. We had some success this year from players who don't have exactly a clean history in the poker world. Oh, boy. Winner of event number 33, $1,000 No Limit Hold'em, your new champion, Dutch Boyd. It's over. Dutch Boyd takes his third bracelet and $288,000. Wonder how much of that he keeps. So our final topic here, anyway, related to that, is about staking people like Dutch Boyd or Eric Lindgren or Chino Ream, all of whom have done well this year in the World Series. Are these guys good players? Yes. I think all three of them are good. I think many of these guys who are known for some sort of scamming or shady behavior in poker actually have some good poker skill. I don't think it's a bad deal personally to stake someone like Lindgren or Ream or Boyd. But think of what you're doing. Think of what you're doing to the poker community. You may say, hey, I'm doing them a favor. Now they may get paid. You are, but you also aren't. The way these guys stay in action 
after repeatedly scamming and ripping off and borrowing under false pretenses is by always having people who are willing to still back them just because they are good at poker. With no regard about what they've done to anyone else. These stakers always have a rule. If I back you, you pay me first, then you pay the people you owed. And of course, these guys agree, knowing that that's the only way they can stay in action. And the people who've been owed owed the longest go to the back of the line. Now, you can rationalize, hey, I'm still doing these guys a favor, because at no cost to them, I give them a chance to recover their money. But if you look at the bigger picture, it would be ideal if the poker community could just turn their backs on the ones who don't treat us fairly, the ones who steal from us, the ones who cheat us, the ones who borrow under false pretenses, the ones who make it very difficult to get money that is owed to us from them, and in fact get mad and agitated and nasty when we try to recover the money. These are the people who should be shut out of the poker community, and the only way to shut them out is to turn off the flow of money to them. If nobody were to stake Chino Ream or Eric Lindgren or Dutch Boyd, they may never pay back the people they owe, but at least they won't scam anyone else in the future. They'll just be gone. They'll be out of the community. That would be the ideal situation, but there's a, they're always going to find action. That's the thing. Yeah, they Somebody's will. always going to be willing to stake them. They will. I know, but I'm trying to appeal to everybody listening here. If I can change your mind, the fewer that can stake them, the better. Now you're saying, what's wrong with them getting staked if it can get people paid back? The problem with them getting staked is that they have a sense of security that no matter what they do or who they scam or who they rip off, they'll always be able to bail themselves out. doesn't always work that way, but they think they will. I remember Negreanu said something about Eric Lindgren that he's not a bad guy. He really believes he can pay everyone. He just gets too optimistic about it. He just thinks everything will work out perfectly for him, and it doesn't always. But it's not an excuse. That, that makes you better than a, uh, a sociopath scammer who just scams for the fun of it or just uh, an outright thief, but you're still borrowing from people under false pretenses. You're still betting with people with money you don't have under false pretenses. It's still scamming. It's still stealing. And you shouldn't reward these people with stakes to these events. You shouldn't reward them with the sense of security that no matter what they do or who they rip off, that there will always be people willing to put up money for them to get out of the mess by winning a few tournaments. So that's just my personal belief. I know it's not going to change anything, but I just wish they would change. And that's my editorial for the evening. And uh, um, we've come to the end of the show. Uh, anything you'd like to say, Beer and Poker, before we close um, this thing not out? Not really. Okay. Um, so you're playing the one on Friday? Is that what event you're playing? Yes, I am playing the one on Friday. Uh, let me give you the quick list of events I'm playing, if in case anybody's interested. And make sure to follow me on at Dandruff Poker on Twitter. Don't follow Todd Wittellis, otherwise you won't see very much. Dandruff Poker is where I will be providing my updates this year, or not this year, for the remainder of this year, and for future years, so I don't clutter my main Twitter with chip updates, because I give a lot of chipped updates, and uh, that annoys some people. So I, I finally broke down and decided to make a separate account for it. So Dandruff Poker is where you'll get my chip updates. So the events on the schedule for me, the remaining events I'll be playing, will be uh, Friday, June 20th, the 1500 Limit Hold'em at 4 p.m. 
If I don't make it to day two, I'll be playing the 1500 No Limit the next day on the 21st. Then 1500 Anti Only Hold'em on the 23rd at noon. On the 26th, I'm playing the 10K Limit Hold'em at 4 p.m. 28th, I'll be playing the 1500 No Limit Hold'em at 12 p.m. And then the main event on July 6th at 12 p.m. So that's my schedule for the World Series. Six more events. Hopefully I can do something. It may even become five events if I make day two, which I hope I do of the 1500 Limit Hold'em. And uh, I've cashed every single year in the World Series since I started playing it in 05. Hopefully this won't be the first year where I fail to cash anything. And hopefully we'll have another big one, like last year. So thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Beer and Poker, for participating tonight, especially when you couldn't hear some segments. And uh, I'm glad yeah, you joined us. It's cutting in. out right now for me, Corey. <laughs> oh, it's cutting out, too. That's even better. Okay, well, the show's ending with uh, all the fail tonight, but it you know, all kind of came together. We got our co-host. We got our free roll money. Thank you for that, everybody. And we'll be back tentatively next week. June 24th is the scheduled day for the show. Provided I don't make day two of the event the day before, we'll be here. 6.30, June 24th. See you then. Shalom. Shalom.